Hey, let's start the show. It's January 16th, 2013. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. I'm Will Smith. Welcome back. Seated directly to my left is Norman Chan. Welcome back indeed. Second podcast of the year. Does last week count? It was um, real fast and in a hotel room. Dirty. It counts. It was, did it go out on the podcast feed? It did go out on the podcast feed, which makes it a podcast. had a number, which makes it a yep. podcast. 196. Yeah, we're almost at 200. I'm going to give Gary a heads up three, four weeks in advance. We'll do an all-star spectacular with just you and me sitting in the room alone, Norm. All right. Um, Jeremy Williams is here. Hi. Returning after what about a, I guess you were here while I was gone, right? Yeah, I uh, we were here. Well, I was here with Wes on maybe oh. his last podcast. We had the last, last podcast of the year with oh. Jeremy and Wes. It was before we oh. knew it was his last podcast. Thank you, Jeremy, for coming out there. Good podcast. <laughs> Thanks for asking me. Um, so how was your? How was it? We didn't last year. Last week we got so into CES immediately. We didn't talk about like holidays and business. We didn't take care of the important business of podcasting, which is talking about the stuff that we is completely off topic and you know nonsensical. So, um, what did you get into over the holiday, Jeremy? Anything exciting? <clears throat> you, you know, it's just a blur. I got the two kids, and so it's just getting through it is kind of the goal. And we had the pa- grandparents in town. Okay. Um, does that what, does I did, that help for you? Sometimes the grandparents in town is good for me, and sometimes it's you know. It all depends on the relationship the grandparents have with the in law, which it, their in law, okay, my wife, yeah, and and the kids. And so far, this is all positive. So okay, it was a good. good holiday. But is that when we went go karting? Because yes, we, we did that. I don't remember if that was in the new year or not. <clears throat> I that, it was that during the was break. It was during. It was before the new year. Did you go to the fast, like the indoor, indoor fast ones, the, the ones with the big motors that they make you put the jumpsuit on in the helmet? They make you take a class. Yeah. and the whole bit. Yeah, big old motorcycle helmet. Did you keep your head sock? Yeah. Yes. You, yeah. Well, you, head you, sock stays. It's, the question the car is on the floor. Do you rent a washed one for five dollars nope. or buy a new one for seven? Buy a new. Oh, one buy for a seven. new one every time. So that's what I did. Oh, I, I have the same one. I just give him my glove box just in case I want to go go-karting. <laughs> um, we had a good time. Or rob a 7-Eleven. Or... The hole's not, the hole's too big for that. So, okay, too much here's, here's, here's a, a point, uh, point of order, and we didn't understand. For the head sock, do you uh, ninja or do you... Astronaut. Astronaut. That's right. Oh, right. What do you is mean it, astronaut? Should it look like does, a does ninja? Hole cover you, just you put your, your whole eyes, face through the hole? Or do you astronaut it and put it like, make it like a, a Snoopy cap? No, you, you, it's just the eyes. It covers up the places that the, that the helmet does not show. That's how we were instructed. That's, that yeah. is... You, the, like, that, that, but it was a question because it's Who instructed you on this? Did the guy at the place tell you to no, do the head? No, this was Stapleton's head? terms. Oh. Well, <laughs> Stapleton. Ninja. <laughs> Or astronaut. Ninja is it's, always it's the way more to go. Difficult, it's difficult to breathe if you're doing yeah. ninja, uh, depending on the material <laughs> of the, the You tend to forget this at like 100 scale miles, though. You, yeah. Those are fast go-karts. Well, and, it's, and it's, it's much more physical than you expect. Because, you know, they do, they do the thing still where they stand on your, they put your, they put their foot on you and pull the straps down to get you cinched in super yep. tight so you don't wiggle. Yep. Oh, well, you got that? My seatbelt was going off. Oh, really? The whole time. That's oh, no. no you, like, tighter the better. 
<clears throat> yeah, because the tighter that you don't you don't oh, I got a lot, side lot side. of scooching, a lot of been thrown around. Yeah, so so when you you like you have to really brace yourself, and it's a it's what it's like a you it's forget. not like an oval. It's a it's a you turn both directions. Oh, it it's a maze. Yeah, um, you also uh, have to forget everything you know about driving safely. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, we I went with like John accelerate into turns. Well, you're always supposed to accelerate into turns lightly. Have a spinning. Yeah. You're, you're not in control unless you're out of control. Mario Kart rules apply here. You want the ass end of that go-kart to hardly ever be in contact, in good friction going around hard corners. Yeah. You want to do a two-point skid as the As fun time. as it is to spin out, it's yeah. actually a much slower. Yeah, it was, it, it was scary spinning out. The, the most dangerous thing about go-karting, and we were going fast and passing people, and it was crazy. And by the way, it was a hu- humiliating experience. As well as we thought we were doing, there were people there who'd clearly been before, and they just demolished our times. But the most, the, I think the most like, dangerous thing about go-karting is the drive home. Yeah. Did you drive home, Norm? Yeah, I did. And, and man, it was, well, first feeling very tired. Exhausted, and also the adrenaline kind of yeah. still being there. And I'm trying. I'm like thinking. I'm thinking I have to pass everybody on the highway. Yeah, and and actually, when you get on 101 out of that place, there's one of those. It's a it's a 270 degree cloverleaf entrance to the freeway. <laughs> right. And you get on that, and if you're not thinking about it real hard, then you think, well, shit, I can totally get the back wheels loose here and <laughs> do this much faster. Let's yep. drift this thing. Um, I went with the guy who goes to track days one time. And uh, who, who we all know. Um, and he, it was really bad because he was driving like a car. So he was the slow. Like he's a person who takes his his expensive European sports car up to like to, to uh, uh, what's the what's the Sonoma. Speed? So, uh, right. Sonoma Raceway. Stuff like that. And, and he had the worst times by a really huge margin because he was braking, going into the turns and accelerating through them and the whole the whole thing. And of course, we were drifting by him at, at you know wildly out of control. There's also a, a time distortion effect because you're paying attention to everything you're doing while driving. Mm-hmm. So when you do when you play something, remember when the old days of uh, laser tag, Qzar. Um, yeah, uh, you pay back then what felt like a substantial amount of money to play for 15 minutes and went by real fast. And you're like, oh man, I, I totally wasn't worth it. 15 minutes of go karting is more than enough. Yeah. More, we, more we did, than enough. We did the long race once, which was exhausting. We well, that's what we did. We had the, yeah. super, the super track. Yeah. The, the super track and, and two races. Yeah. And at the end, the last 10 minutes, you just want to end. I just want to be done. I just want yeah. to it's pretty nauseating. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of hard lefts, and you just kind of get numb after a while. I don't understand yeah. how people do that for four hours. Yeah. I, I discovered I have biceps because they hurt the next day. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was a kid, my dad wanted to get me a go-kart. Because we lived on a farm, and you, know, cool. you could like having a personal vehicle to drive around <laughs> See, it would be amazing. Usually, kids want to have a go kart. They don't have a dad that wants to get them well, a go kart. Okay, I didn't realize I didn't know what go karts were at the point. My dad wanted to get my dad wanted to get a go kart for himself. I hear you. Yeah, but my mom wouldn't allow because she was afraid I was going to run under a fence and decapitate myself. So they got a friend who welds to put a big metal steel hoop that's a U shape on the front with a with a support. That lines up directly with the center of my body, <laughs> welded to the frame. And as I'm thinking about this now, as I'm describing this now, it sounds like a terrible idea. Because what's going to happen when you hit the fence is either the fence going to explode, and that'll be okay. Or that's the weld that's holding the back support in place is going to pop off, and you're going to impale yourself on this giant metal rod. It was safety 
first. I always thought go-karts had that U-shape thing for a long time. I didn't realize yeah. that they came without that. I thought that was a requirement for the go-kart. And then something crazy happened that has never happened Oh yeah! During your your run, well, Jeremy, no, what happened? You mean something that's never happened that they'd ever seen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people running the <clears throat> the facility had never now they seen. have a no touching rule, but and it's, <laughs> it's, it's no touching, Jeremy. It's possible I may have touched somebody else. <laughs> okay. Touching is bad in, in go kart. It's, it's not bumper cars. I got a flag that said no bumping. And did so, you did you, you? This is a safe place, Jeremy. You can tell the <laughs> truth. Did you bump? <laughs> it's possible. Okay. And about it was it was, it was lap one actually. Wow. And then about two turns later, I noticed my wheel is like at an angle. And did you and, pit? And then I stopped and I and I realized it was actually falling off. And um I thought I'll wave somebody down, they didn't see me, and then I drove as far as I could to the pit okay. with, and it totally fell off. I could not drive anymore. The guy looked down at me, thankfully I conked out right next to one of the officials, and he looked down at me and said, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> Did they stop everybody? I've that never point? seen this before. And then he called a new car for me, which was great. And I got out on the track. He was, you know, telling everybody to be careful. And then I got in the new car, and they fixed the old car. But that that that's hurt, pretty exciting. That hurt my time. I gotta imagine that's a real negative impact on yeah, your performance. Yeah, a two hundred second lap. Um, um, yeah, it wasn't good. The so this place when you finish, they give you like lap times and total run times and fastest laps and slowest lap. There's all sorts of cool data. I think it's on a website someplace too. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting experience. Highly recommended. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, should we talk about? The, so we have some CES stuff left over from last week that we didn't get to. Um, we have some other stuff that you're familiar with that probably is worth jumping into. So let's let's just go down the list. Um, Norm, you saw this thing uh, by Avagant. It's a head-mounted display. It turns out it's called the Glyph, which G L Y P H G L Y P H, which okay. I think is a not not a great name for a product. So for what they're trying to sell. So what it is is a uh, head-mounted display. Not like it's not a virtual reality headset. It is a thing to watch movies and video, and maybe use as a second as a monitor or something like that. This is not the Sony thing. This is not the Sony thing. We can talk about the Sony thing also. Um, but it projects instead of having a screen in front of you that you see, it's actually projecting light onto your retina that's focused in the right place. So, it, and it works using a, a custom DLP chip or a new DLP chip. Were you here when we talked about um, this, Jeremy? Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah. now I remember. Lloyd this, was yeah. here too. I think it was a Lloyd and Jeremy cast when they uh, they came by our offices uh, several months ago to show off an early prototype. And like Will said, it is a instead of having a flat screen that. With individual pixels that's emitting light um, or backlight, uh, it is a small DLP projector. So imagine very tiny projectors just yeah. piping. In, so ha- in you wore it. Yeah, we wore how, it. How do you describe what it looks like compared to a small LCD screen? So it still is a rectangle box. Right? Yeah. It's, it's not like because it's a projector, you like the, the edges like fade away. It doesn't away. fill your entire right? vision. It's, field it's, of vision. it's not like that. It still is a rectangular box. They are not. They're still doing forty-five degree field of view, so it's not all-encompassing. It looks like a. It looks like an eighty-inch screen from ten feet away, which is what they've always said sure. for these head-mounted displays. Um, but the best way to describe it, the most descriptive thing you can say about it is the fill factor is uh, is bigger than. Anything, any display you've seen. What's fill factor? Um, so, if you think about these squares in a LCD or any display, every pixel is a yeah. square. 
um, the subpixel, every, every pixel is made up of subpixels, whether it's AMOLED or LCD. Um, in LCD, most tr- traditionally you have RGB subpixels. So if you put a microscope L screen under LCD, you will see uh, three vertical lines within the, your square, yeah. uh, a red, green, blue. And sometimes you have red, green, blue, white in, to increase luminance. Um, sometimes the arrangement of those subpixels won't be rectangular, and it'll be, won't, so you won't get actual squares. But the subpixels themselves don't actually fill up 100% of that square. You get the illusion of a square because that's how they're arranged. Well, and they're bright, and, and the way your and, vision and, works, it kind of blurs light, out yes. when it's at that small size. But that, that is what leads to, uh, partially, to the screen door effect is just the actual fill factor of an individual pixel. Uh, but because uh, it's projected, and so it's diffused, like it's spread out a little bit, and also because they're using these micromirrors, um, the fill factor is much higher so you actually get almost no screen door effect. You actually do not see grids um, on, on the image. It's you, not like you, you can't you see pixels. You kind of see pixels, yeah. I'm not saying you don't see pixels, but you don't see a black, like vertical black lines and horizontal black lines like you would in the original dev kit right. of the Oculus. Um, you can recognize that there are pixels in f- perhaps like the aliasing and artifacting. Yeah. You actually see blocks and yeah. you recognize those are pixels. Um, and but they're perfectly square? Well, but, I mean, for, for, for artifacting blocks, you, you, you can't see, you see, yeah. you can see like, you know, you know how like when there's fast motion and the edge of a, of, of someone moving, like, will think about have alias, like alias. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you can kind of see that, but they will be like the colors will kind of blend together. Hmm. Um, and so, it's, it's for this reason that projectors, like 2K projectors in a movie theater look better than, you know, a 1080p TV. That's yeah. Not quite half the resolution or it, whatever. Because a 2K projector, you know, 1920 projecting at, at an 80 foot screen or you know how many feet yeah. a cinema screen is uh, it's it's the fill factor is much higher than you would get on a normal 1080p screen so, so the way DLP chips work is if you don't know at home is it's just a chip with a bunch of tiny tiny mirrors on it um, and uh, there's a light source that projects onto those mirrors and then each of those mirrors represents one pixel. So what they do is instead of having subpixels to show the different colors, with the DLP, each mirror flips on and off three times per frame to show the, the representative colors. Um, so the light source changes between red, green, and blue. And if it, if it blurs them very fast, then your temporal perception of the color will be, and shows all three colors, will be that it's white. If the, nothing's there, it'll be black. And any combination in between by flipping that mirror on and off at different speeds. Um, so what they do is use an RGB LED light source um, inside the glasses, project it onto the mirror. The mirror bounces it back. It focuses on your retina. And theoretically, you should be able to see um, – you, you get a picture. Um, I, I, I had to put contacts in. My vision correction is such that, that I couldn't use it without glasses or, or some sort of vision correction. Uh, but the picture, the clarity of the picture was really good. There was some artifacting on the demos that they were showing us. Um, Which is a factor of bill rate or a bit rate. I, I, I wasn't sure if it was bit rate. It almost looked like there was an alignment issue between the two eyes because there was a kind of vertical line thing. The, 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 the projection technology was really neat. Like the vision, the image was very crisp and very clear and looked really, really good. And it was, it was 720p. It was a 720p source, like, yeah. Analogous to. Yeah, so. And is that the resolution of the display? Of the number of actual mirrors, yeah, seven twenty p is number same number of you know equivalent to seven number of pixels in seven twenty p. Yeah, and is it relaxing? No, so it's not straining. I um, I don't know if we used it enough to say that. I was in it for fifteen minutes while you did that interview, and it, I had a headache at the end. So, 
Also, you had alignment problems. You have di- you had, you had you had uh, IPD alignment. I problems. mean, we did not go through the the alignment process for the the demo unit they had at the show was kind of eh. It was difficult to use. How I mean, did they focus the the screen? So the there's screen a is focusing your retina. knobs on the on the bottom, and there's IPD knobs on the top. Okay, so you okay. can move the placement of the lenses. Um, the problem I had was actually the reason I had a headache. I think was that the screen. For my for my nose position and and f- like eye height, I had to kind of look up constantly out at the top of my field of view to see the screen because it was out of my field of vision. Otherwise, it, but I mean, all this is like this was a handmade prototype. It yep. looked like so. I, so. The the bigger thing, uh, in addition to the fill factor, and we talked about this last time we talked about the podcast, is because it's light that's uh, it's not direct light. It's light that's low light bounced. It doesn't look immediately. As bright as looking at an LCD, yeah. it's not like resting your eyes on the TV. I don't know how much of that is real, though. Like I, I don't, I don't know. It, it definitely did not look as, as, as glaring. No, no. I, I mean the eye strain related to looking at di- directly at monitors and TVs versus like for the amount of time you were going to use something like that. I don't know that that comes into play. Really. So you've both used the Sony headset too. Both used the Sony. I've used the Sony one and the Carl's uh, the Zeiss one. I used to own the Sony one, yeah. and and I thought it was. Interesting, it gave you perfect 3D because each eye had its own screen. Mm-hmm. But besides that, it wasn't comfortable enough for me to watch a whole movie on. No, and not even like a TV show, you know, half it's an too hour. Heavy. Is was, this better? No, this was, we didn't was use enormous. It for more than, okay. We didn't use it for more than uh, 15 minutes. It, it was really heavy. Uh, they're targeting, I think, like 12 ounces, I think is what they're saying. Uh, their design also lets you flip down and up the visor, so it's a headphone. It's, it's, it's a headphone set. Like, you rotate the headphones in, like this. And then the visor comes down over your eyes and you can flip it up if you just want to listen to music but whatever um i don't like i th- i thought the technology was really cool the projector was really cool i don't i don't know what who buys head mounted displays these days jeremy i know jeremy does <laughs> jeremy you're, you're look you're, you're actively well, I'm you're asking. asking like someone at best buy like i have these sony ones that i got a couple years ago yep. how's the technology now i want to watch these tvs on the couch they're really uh the, the interesting thing is they're really selling for mobile so they really wanted this to be a, a display. A five hundred dollar is a starting price for when they launched their Kickstarter. Um, they wanted it to be a display that you plug your Android or iPhone into, and they plugged an iPhone into uh, and play a racing game. And the game looked much better using this display than just staring at the iPhone. Way more comfortable. I mean, there's a lot. Well, of and your head, thumbs head, didn't head, block the screen. Your head weren't tilting yeah. down, and. Um, so they want people to sit on their couches, watch movies, and right. play mobile games, having this thing plugged in. You know, regardless I, if it's if it's if this is the one or not, I still think the projector technology is extremely exciting because this is the beginning of replacing real world light sources with alternate light sources in a yeah. way that that looks you know like real virtual reality. Yeah, I mean, as the as the technology gets better, this will go from being a thing that looks kind of ridiculous and huge. To being something like a Geordie LaForge visor, you just right. slam on to that's, a pair of glasses that yeah. just blast straight and, in your eyeball. And that's how we look at every every yeah. prototype product. Yeah, I, I mean, that's, what, that's a yes. Like you said, whether this product lives or dies, who knows? But the technology's neat, and I've never, it's something I'd never seen before. Um, okay, so we also you also spent a little bit of time with this with the Sony HMD that they. So what's the story? So this thing is basically the second generation of that H- third generation of that HMD that uh, Jeremy had that we have in the office here uh, that we used for that third person camera a few years ago. And um, they slapped a motion tracker on the back. That's it. 
Okay. That, that was absolutely it. So is it not it's exactly the same HMD HMZ TM three? Um, and of course, they have like one letter for different regions. Yeah. And then in the back, where you strap your head close to it, is a small one inch by two inch motion tracker, Bluetooth connected. And so, what's it for? The, <laughs> the, it, because that is a quote unquote self contained unit. Uh, it is for playing games and and uh, watching. You know what? Head tracking. A lot of people said uh, they're great for looking at panoramas. So people take panoramic photos, or there have been Google Street View style panoramic photos. It's very easy to you know do to stitch these together. And traditionally, like on the PC, you have like a, a flash player or some QuickTime player, and, and, and or some you know web plugin, and you drag a mouse and look around. But if you can. And it, because so it's those like that Wii U phones, thing where you hold up the remote and you look around and you're like, oh, I'm inside it's, it's my not, street. Not here. exactly augmented reality, but in terms of like looking at panoramic video and photos, because you can do panoramic video now, um, I think that's what this is for. So, I mean, obviously they want to say games. Can you but play PlayStation 4 PS3 games on it? They, they, sure. They, well, not with motion tracking. But they said that they want, Sony said that they want people to be able to play games eventually on this. But this demo, this prototype, was made for video. Well, the motion tracking wouldn't work, but you can plug HDMI into it. And right, it's sure. Yeah, sure. That sounds terrible. You know, the, the Oculus Rift has shown us that if you give us a wide enough field of view, GUI elements and UI elements all st- stop working. You, well, Because the, they're too far off into the extremes. The dev kit did. Well, we'll talk, talk but, about that in a minute. But I'm saying you feel I'm I'm not saying because of legibility. I'm saying that they're too far off to the sides. Oh, right. Yeah. So you have to restructure all of your UI and GUI. So the one benefit of this Sony headset, regardless if the head tracking works or not, but eventually when it does work with everything, is nothing will have to be changed. It will every, like you can play games as is out of the box. And, and to go back to the Avagon thing, that is the, the exact reason that they said they claim um, that they are going for 45 degree field of view, field of view because existing video won't need to be changed right, and right. reshot and you can watch existing Blu-rays and 16 by 9 movies or 29 by 9 movies uh, without, with, with their hardware. The, the content is there. The only problem for me is that the 80-inch screen at 10 feet metaphor that the 45-degree field of view gives you is kind of underwhelming. Like I, I, When I put that on my head, and it's not just the Avagon, it's the old Sony thing, it's the new Sony things, it's every one of them I've ever tried, I'm kind of underwhelmed. Like it does not feel like you're. Have, it does not mimic a large screen theater experience, as I would expect a ten foot screen at ten feet away to, to do. So and and also they're expensive. Five hundred bucks for that is bananas. I think because it's like I don't know. Do you know how much the Sony headset is? It's a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. With the motion tracking? No, the one they sell right now, third generation, is a thousand dollars. It's crazy uncomfortable. Yeah, too heavy. The third uh, well, generation one, even? Of, well, I don't know. It's a lot, it looks of a lot lighter. It does, they don't look any better. It doesn't like they've improved it dramatically. The thing, the first one anyway, when it rested on my nose, it was just horrible. It's it's front heavy, and they have two straps in the back. Yeah, oh. that's, that's. I had to order is. new like padded straps from Japan or China. A top no, probably, strap, probably China. Yeah, in order to make it wearable Usable at all. Yeah, I I really liked that one that they had the first year that they demoed that, where you walked up to a console and they had just an articulated arm with it floating there. So you'd walk up and just jam your face yeah. into the go- into the hole. That was awesome. Yeah. Not very practical for most normal people. Um, uh, let's see. There were a lot of 4K UHD TVs. We didn't really talk about the real problem with 4K and UHD on last week's show. Well, what's show. the real problem with 4K UHD? Hey, Norm, uh, do you, how much do you like House of Cards and Orange is the New Black? Uh, I have not seen Orange and New Black, but I love House of Cards. Is it is it 
how much would you would you like to see that in the best way that you could possibly see House of Cards and Orange is the New Black? Um, the highest possible resolution, the most fidelity imaginable. I think, I think more detail could always be used. I think that net, Netflix streaming right now, 720p, uh, I would rather – it's why I buy Blu-rays still because I want the higher bit rate. Yeah. Because I want more, more, more image there. If I'm watching Game of Thrones, yes, I'll watch the first night on HBO or, or you know HBO Go, but I'll rewatch it in Blu-ray because that's you, where the effects were added. Yeah. Like I, I went – I watched um, – well, okay, go back. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, those, the only pieces of 4K content that we are aware of existing in a way that people can get to them are via Sony's proprietary streaming service or Netflix original content that is streaming in 4K. So that's Orange is the New Black and, and House of Cards, I think, right now. They have 4K deals that will probably involve movies at some point in the future. But given kind of what's happened to Netflix's library over the holiday season and, and the way that the studio seem to be backing away from them, um, I don't know how ready they're going to be to put 4K streaming on. And there's no broadcast standard. There's no disc standard. There's no streaming standard. Like As near as I can tell, the only way to get... 4K, sorry, it's not even 4K, it's UHD. UHD is what it's called for home TV use. 4K is what they call it when it's used in theaters and for professionals. Um, Same resolution? uh, No, 4K, it's different aspect ratios, same vertical resolution, basically. Um, So UHD is the the 16 by 9, and 4K is 2.35 to 1, or 1.69 to 1, or something, whatever the the normal movie resolution is. Um, There's no content. That's the problem. You're spending ten grand on a TV, or at the end of this year, probably a thousand dollars on a Vizio, um, but there's nothing to watch on it. You know where there is content Where's on the there? desktop, on the internet, YouTube. On well, not well, YouTube. Yes, technically has 4K. But I'm just saying, uh, I'm four, four, I could use four. I could use more pixels on my desktop right for now. your monitor. Oh, you for mean a monitor. A computer? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And those aren't that expensive. Well. Is that untrue? Oh, I didn't put that on the list. Uh, so Dell la- late last year announced two 4K monitors. Yeah. Um, 600 bucks, maybe? Well, the, the two they announced late last year were uh, the ones that were uh, bigger. I think they announced a, four, sorry, a 24-inch 4K monitor mm-hmm. and a 32-inch 4K I monitor. I thought it was both. a 27. I think 27. Yeah. 27 is a new one they announced this year. But okay. they announced a 24-inch and a 32-inch last year. The 32-inch is year, crazy expensive, right? they're both crazy expensive. But they're like content creator monitors. Sure. And the one they announced this year, which they promised would be under $1,000, ended up, like you said, being $600, and that is a 27-inch. But it is 30 hertz. Ouch. Really? 30 hertz only. Is that confirmed? It's confirmed. At, at, that, at 4K? Ah, at 4K. Does it have a scaler? Can you plug in HDMI and stuff to it? Or is it just DisplayPort? No, you can, pl- you can plug in whatever you want in it. Okay. But uh, 30 hertz and all of them are TN panels. Which is, is not as big a deal, but there are people. Uh, there are definitely people out there that hate TN panels on some forms. Like well, those garbage in the trash. Like I can't believe they're. What are they, I saw some some uh, Korean monitors that are now 4K for like five hundred dollars. I think they're the anything? same deal it's though. The same. I think they're thirty hertz. That's the problem okay. with them. Yeah, thirty that hertz. Thirty hertz is. is I mean, <sighs> so I mean, we're talking about flat panels. So it's not like there's a scan refresh. Is it? Is it? Does it matter? If you're playing games, it does. Oh, right, because they're locked to the... Yeah, okay. Yeah, that would be bad. 
Okay. And even moving a mouse around. So the 32-inch one is $3,500. That's insane. For a TN panel, it's not IPS for $3,500? I'm not sure about the 32-inch. I got to imagine at that money, it's an IPS panel. I don't think they can do IPS. At that density? At that, at that uh, resolution. Mm-hmm. And Wow. Um, can I make a point back to yeah, four, there's no 4K content? The one reason I'm considering a 4K TV now is because, and I realize this fad has passed, but I'm, as you know, a 3D fan, and I've, I like passive 3D. I don't like active 3D. Okay. So the nice thing about 4K TV, 4K passive TVs is they give you the full horizontal resolution. Right. You can do double vertical resolution. One eye gets one, one side, one eye gets the other, and you right. have enough lines to do it. The problem with 1080p sets yeah. with passive is you lose half of that. You, you only get 1920 by 512. So there was a fair or, amount no, of... No, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, T- uh, 540. Right, thank you. Um, there's, there's been a fair amount of research that says that's not actually the case. What do you mean? Um, that the way your brain combines the two fields oh, yeah, is I such understand, that the cognitive you're, you're is no difference. One. Yeah, you, you see both even though you don't actually see both. Nonetheless, clearly at 4K, you definitely get everything. Yeah, it just makes you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, did, you, did you guys read uh, Marco Arment's piece about what he thinks Apple will do with a... Uh, with, with a TV, a, with a 4K, 4K uh, monitor. No. Um, so in, we'll have to walk through the logic of this. Uh, if you remember, with and uh, the this is a cinema display, is what he's talking about. Or sure. IMAC how display, Apple whatever. will do uh, 4K. Okay. Um, so with the MacBook Air or MacBook Retina, the first Retina laptop display. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you had was, and I, and I had to think of what was the resolution again. It was basically it was quad whatever the fifteen inch laptop was before. It's like it ends up being like sixteen hundred by um, it's sixteen hundred by nine hundred times by by two, right? So thirty two hundred or eighteen hundred. Uh, keep talking. I'll yes, look it up. Um, but basically, you're taking the the what, what was previously the fifteen inch resolution laptop resolution. <laughs> And uh, 2880 by 1800. Right. Uh, which is mathematically 1440 by uh, right, 900, 900 pixel double. Right. Um, and we didn't, a lot of people didn't like that because you don't actually get more screen real estate when you do pixel doubling. Yes, text is sharper, web is everything is sharper because uh, you're doing the pixel doubling, but because it's still mimicking the desktop's uh, 1440 by 900. You don't get. You can't fit more windows in. Right? You're not going to see more of a web page. You're going to see sharper text. You get better density, and, but not more space. But not not more space. You can turn on that with mods. You with can even hats. turn it on in the control panel. Oh, sure. can you now? Yeah. Oh, cool. and, and certain certain programs like if you can run, you know, a Lightroom or Aperture, and you will get your full image resolutions. Right? You, like you, Final right? Cut, the video display window shows a 1080p video inside the uh, as opposed the, to some the frame, doing even some pixel doubling. Yeah. Uh, but there were other. V- Video settings, display settings on those laptops that let you simulate more desktop space. For example, if you want to see a 1920 by 1080 simulated desktop, right? And but it wouldn't be pixel per pixel accurate, right. so you get the dithering. But the way they did that was they actually render twice 1920 by 1080, mm. so they pixel doubled that and then downsampled as opposed to. Up sampling from 1440 by 900. So the performance on a 1920, um, but when you're running the 1920 by 1080 mode, is actually much worse than if you're running native. Right, 25. Native, native 20, 20, but they did it because every frame was cleaner. 
cleaner, yeah. right, overall. But you're, it, it's the, the trick is you're pixel yeah. doubling first and then scaling down to, to instead of scaling up. Yep. Which okay. is, it's, it's the right way to do it. Um, so yeah, they, I think they've changed the way graphics cards works as a result of that on, on uh, Intel's integrated graphics, at least. So what is Apple going to do with a 4K display? So the argument is that uh, they can do a, uh, a 4K monitor, release it, and just do exactly that for your for your desktop, and it would be a nineteen twenty by um, ten eighty ten, times no, two. ten eighty panel scaled up and then scaled back down to four K resolution. So what he's what you're, you're no. <laughs> I think you whiffed this one, dude. Why, no. Why are they scaling it up and then down again for 4K? Well, yeah, if, it's, so, okay, if, it's, so, if it's a quad so 1920, resolution 1920p so panel. Which is, which is the normal display. Yeah. Right? So you get a 38. Well, no, uh, on a on a 27-inch monitor, it's like 2560 by Right, so you don't get 2560. On 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 a 27-inch monitor, which is the the uh, the Ultra HD resolution, it's yeah. 38. What is it? Thirty-eight. Uh, Thirty. It's it's nineteen twenty times two. Exactly. So what you're 40. getting is nineteen twenty pixel doubled. Okay. Is the normal display. Yep. So you're going to look at a twenty-seven inch monitor, but it'll look like ten eighty. Ten eighty. Yeah. In terms of how big your web pixel pages doubled. are. Yeah. But for people who want to still have it look like twenty-five sixty by fourteen forty, would people a, want that? I think that's what every twenty-seven inch and thirty inch display. That's what we're used to now in terms of how big windows are. I think most people don't have 27 and 30 inch monitors. I'm a lot of a lot of people who work. I, I see out of four monitors in this room, two of them are are that. That's yes, true. Uh, I, I mean they're affordable. I mean they are more affordable now than ever before. You, you can buy a 2560 by 1440 monitor for under 500 dollars, around 500 dollars, and I think that a lot of people who are going to buy a 27 inch monitor if it's 4K are going to want to have those pixel, are going to want to have that. That uh, that, that screen space, then Apple will just do that, double the twenty five sixty by six, fourteen forty, and then s- maybe scale and then yeah. scale down just like they did on the laptop. Yeah, um, that would be consistent. That would be, that would be consistent. So that instead of having to do a twenty five sixty by fourteen forty pixel doubled, which would be insane. I think my eyes are crossed. Just give me four K. You know, I just want 4K native or 1920 doubled. So what, what kind of TV do you have now that you're thinking about upgrading? Oh, it's um, a five-year-old Samsung. So, um, 55-inch okay. LCD. It's fine. 120 it's a, hertz? You know, the fact that I would ever complain about this TV is just absurd. Okay. It's not even first-world problem. It's just idiot problem. Is 120 hertz, does that matter? Uh, uh, it's, I turn all that stuff off. It yeah, does not I, matter to me. I hate that stuff. Right. It matters when you're doing... It's not a 3D TV, I guess. No, it's, it's not. Five years old. It, it's, I, and I don't think we should, anyone should buy a 3D TV. I think 120 hertz... It's well established. Absolutely does not matter. Well, yeah. So uh, who um, knows? It, it may just be seen if I'm going to do it or not, but... 120 hertz matters if, you have, if you're doing 24... Why does 120 hertz matter? I thought you needed 240 hertz for yeah, the, you're good, right. the good. Yeah, you're yeah. right. 120 does, 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 not, doesn't do a whole lot. Nope. Um... Although if you're doing passive 3D, it doesn't matter because it's whatever. The, there's no. It's not like you have to run double the frame rate or something. 3D um, <laughs> right. should not care. Yeah. Uh, so I watched 3D movies over the holiday. Uh, at home? Yeah, at home. Gina wasn't around. <laughs> she she'd oh, gone to Tennessee with the with the Munchers wow. to see family. And um, oh, what'd you watch it on TV? TV. Okay. Um, and she never wants to wear the glasses, and you have to do it late at night when everything's completely dark around you because the glare problem really, really messes up the 3D. Active shutter. Active shutter. 
So I put on the active shutter glasses in a dark room and I watched Pacific Rim in 3D, which is a much better experience than watching Pacific Rim in 2D. Um, I watched uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, which did not help that movie at all. Um, what else did I watch? I watched basically all the Blu-ray. I watched um, maybe Nemo. I oh. want to say I watched Finding Nemo. Yeah. And something else. I don't remember what the last thing was. Anyway. You really binged. Yeah, well, I had I had two nights to myself in the house. It was on. It was rare. So wow! I went Did you find deep. porn in three D. I didn't look for porn in. 3D. I don't want. I don't want. I'm. I'm all. If you're by yourself and you're experimenting in three D, you might as well go full spectrum. I don't. I don't want. I found that increased fidelity with porn is a negative most of the time. <laughs> it's about fidelity. It's about immersion. You, you don't want to see. You don't, don't want to get immersed. I don't, I don't want that full three D. The uh, that last Transformers film is pretty good in three D. I gotta say. I think we saw that in the theater in three D. I'm never going to watch that movie again. I watched it at home in 3D, and I was impressed by the 3D. I'd have to have paid money for it. Um, what was the other thing? I watched The last thing I watched was really good. Um, Life of Pi? No, I should have watched that. <laughs> no, that's killer. That's the best, I don't know if I got best the 3D. 3D ever, but except maybe the Pixar short uh, Night and Day. Night and Day is the best 3D. Night and Day is the one with the clouds? No, that's, that, partly, that's cloudy. partly cloudy. No, Night and Day is the one where it's two-dimensional characters, and you see through them into a 3D space. <gasps> And they oh. represent daytime and nighttime of the same world, and they overlap, and they're showing off what their versions. What was of the that world before is. Ratatouille or something? <sighs> or was remember. it more recent? I don't remember. It was more recent. I'll have to. I'll have to find that because it was the one before Brave. It's not in 3D. You can't get it in 3D. Oh. It's only in the theater. Yeah, Sad. that's my favorite. That's my favorite bonus Toy feature Story, on Pixar discs. What's up? That's my favorite bonus feature on Pixar discs is that the short that they run before yeah. the movie in the theater is always on the disc. True, and and I own both Pixar shorts Blu-rays, so you can yeah. get them. And they're all, all yeah, by yeah, themselves. There are books too. about just the shorts. Yeah, if you want to. Well, the shorts pictures. are a beta test, right? I always assume that's where they're. they're, they're they like used to be. They stuff. certainly used to be, but now they're more like beta tests for directors. They're oh. yes. and Pixar Disney does the same thing, like the Paperman stuff. Paperman was Which great. Was great. Yeah, so uh, the night and day was John Lasseter saying we still love traditional 2D animation, and so we want to kind of find a way to merge these things. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's, it is a way, uh, one, it keeps people employed because it is a lot of rendering and a lot of, a lot of artists. Yeah. I mean, not everyone's working on a movie at the same time. I know Pixar just closed their Vancouver studio, Yeah, I want to say. Um, but it is a way to get directors into the pipeline to work on future projects. Pixar has no new movie this year. I know. No new Pixar movie. That's right. Which is a good thing. What did they, they, did they have back. one last year? Brave. No. Uh, no. The Cars 2. No, Cars no. 2 was the year before, dude. No. Cars yeah. 2 is old. Oh, maybe, maybe Brave. Uh, uh, Monsters. Oh, Monsters. Monsters, Monsters you, which I okay. yeah, still haven't seen. Yeah. I have that on disc at You home. know, and that's fine. And I, I think Disney's okay with that because Frozen is his main gangbusters. It's a, it's a huge movie. I haven't seen that yet. You should like, take the kids. Apparently, it's, it's well worth watching. Yeah, Peter, my son's seen it. He went okay. to a party. So I, now he's been playing the hit song from it on YouTube nonstop. <laughs> the hit song from yeah. it. Are you kidding? On YouTube. Yeah. That's just everything about <laughs> yeah. where you are as both a parent yep. and where your son is as a child that, of this generation. That's the new future, Playing man. the hit song on YouTube constantly, <laughs> searching with Google Voice. Um, oh, my goodness. Dude, you should not buy a 4K TV this year. I hear you. Because they will be so much better in two years when there's actually stuff to watch on Probably them. Probably shouldn't buy a 4K monitor this year either. You might be right. Well, 4K monitor might be the thing to buy this year. There's so many things I want to buy. cheaper next year and more, more people make That's them. That's true. Um, uh, so we saw the Steam Controller. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, there's been uh, I talked to I was on Idle Thumbs this week and talked to Chris Remo and Jake and Sean, who've all used it more than we have. Like they when they did that developer tour day, they brought it and I think they all got to try it and and uh, 
got some interesting. So Chris played um, some Double Fine Adventure games on it and was like, this is a completely, this is a perfectly viable way to to play mouse mouse games, mouse heavy games on the couch. Um, so uh, Steam Dev Days is going on right that's now. That's happening now. Something I, I assume that by the time this is posted, we will be behind and there will be something interesting. Well, they announced Steam VR. Uh, we knew that already. That happened earlier this week. It's on the list already. Yes. And also every developer there got a Steam controller. Yes. Whoa. Prototype. Yeah. Cool. That makes sense. Um, the uh, the Oculus VR, the VR big picture mode is what it is. So basically what it does is projects. I haven't tried it yet, but it's in the beta channel. And it projects the Steam big picture mode as if it was a, an 80-inch screen 10 feet in front of you. Um, so you and you, you know, just like a lot of UI elements in Oculus games do, it seems like totally illegible text. I assume I would bet on the dev kit, it's probably pretty gnarly unless they jacked up the font a ton. Um, we it's on the list to talk about. We we used the Crystal Cove prototype at CES. Right. I'm booking the next 20 minutes. So we talked talk about, about this last Cove week. I don't know about with Jeremy. Okay, because this I don't I don't care about anyone else's opinion except Jeremy's when it comes to I, I, I just, consumer. Can Oculus. I please just get your thumb up, thumb down uh, feelings for the future of the Steam controller? Do you think it's it's got promise? I I don't thumb sideways. Something. Yeah, I mean, it, like you, it's you've used you like you used the space orb and the Cyberman. You know how that stuff works. You have to sit down with it and use it. To play actual games in a real environment, <laughs> it's going to take a lot of customization, know. obviously, on the developer side. I mean, the good news is, I think that the software—I'm not sure about that. I like looking at the stuff that they had that you could program to set macros and stuff and and configure it, and the fact that they're tying it into that Steam um, uh, Steam community stuff where you can share all that stuff really easily and that like sounds vote like a lot on of compensating all for. Yeah. Uh, it, and they'll they'll say they'll call it customization, but it sounds like that uh, it, crowdsourcing. Well, well, no, no, not no. It's it's not something not lack of in, in, intuitiveness. Yeah, uh, if it's you have to personalize it yourself, uh, and that, to some extent, personalizing it is great if it works great for you. I mean, uh, I think the bigger problem is that it is a control mechanism that people are not going to be designing games for. What it is is it's a crutch to make up for. Keyboard mouse and, and my and, and that is it's designed for that. My hope was that it was a home run crutch, and it is not a home run crutch because using it for fifteen minutes, if it was a home run crutch, we, we wouldn't, wouldn't be able to know. tell that. Okay, um, I, I mean here's the thing though, the the thing that's changed between now and the last time that those that kind of weird keyboard mouse replacement controller was a thing in the late '90s and early 2000s is that. One, it's really easy to share information, much more so than before. It's not like in the old days where you have to download the FLCS configuration file for your for your joystick and rudders and shit, and then type all that stuff into an any file in Notepad and and like hope that you didn't put a comma in the wrong place or else it'll stop working. Now I just go to Steam Community and say, oh, I want to use Norm's configuration for this, which also means that they can do this. And and the, I'm Valve. I'm sure for the top thousand games on the service that are that this is going to apply to, we'll go down the list of games, look, test out the five most popular things, and say, okay, this is the one we bless. Like they have to do that. Um, the other thing that's changed is that everybody now acknowledges the benefit of having a universal control scheme because that the prevalence of the Xbox 360 controller for PC gaming has completely changed the ability to use a gamepad on on uh, uh, PC games. So, so like think it's of it a from strong positive. A game developer's perspective: if you're a game developer, you're, uh, you're developing a cross-platform game. 
uh, let's, let's say a shooter, for example, you're designing with um, a few control schemes in mind. You're designing for gamepad, obviously, if your game's going to come out on a next-gen console, yep. and gamepad is relatively easy to design for, but you're, you're actually designing a game to suit you know, the movements for gamepad. And then you're also designing for keyboard mouse because your game's going to come out on PC. You're not designing for Steam Controller. Steam Controller isn't a new paradigm for how you're going to play games. It's just supposed to be the best crutch leaning toward but to, for, P, for keyboard and mouse, not on the gamepad side. And I think the very fact that it is, and we may be wrong, maybe Valve's going to make a big, big push for, uh, for developers to develop for Steam Controller, and maybe some, there will be some indie games that work They're really, having a dev conference for the first exactly time ever right like now. perfectly for Steam Controller, but that's not going to be the big market. The big market is game consoles and also PCs for keyboard and mouse, the best crutch is still going to be crutch. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and tell you a secret about Valve is, is they seem to take the long view. Like if you look at Valve time, the yeah, the birth of Steam and how that started out as, hey, here's a way to get your Counter Strike patches without cheating, with it, to, to foil the cheaters, all the way up through, hey, this is the only place to get PC games that anybody takes seriously on the you know on the internet. Um, uh, you know, and then look at what they're doing with the Steam OS stuff and the Steam Box. They are just to be clear, they are releasing a Linux-based console that will have 250 titles, most of which are indie stuff that the mainstream audience doesn't give a shit about. So, like, they're clearly taking the long view on the Steam OS stuff and the Steam hardware stuff. I think that the controller is the long view too, and and. Unlike everybody else that's ever released this kind of co- this kind of controller, they actually have the patience to wait two years for people to start making games for this thing and to push them to do that and to give them money and and encourage them. It's so, it's, a, it's a safe buy regardless. I mean, you're not going to be forced to use a controller. It ends up being comparable yeah. pricing to a game controller, fifty dollars, maybe you know, maybe more because that's a touchscreen, like sixty dollars. They're going to sell a ton of them and, because and, people are going to want to be curious. And they'll they also have the power of doing the thing where they say, "Okay, guys, if you pay sixty bucks for a Steam controller, we're going to give you Half Life Three two weeks before everybody else." Which guess what? Suddenly, the installed base of <laughs> Steam controllers has gone from very low to you know. <clears throat> worth talking about. Halfway three announced here. Yeah. You heard it first. Uh, it's, uh, Gabe told me that at that event on, <laughs> on last Monday. Um, okay, so Oculus, Crystal Cove. I don't think we should run through the... Jeremy, how much do you know about this? Everything. Okay. <laughs> but there are a lot of things. Yeah, Jeremy knows everything. High points are that they added uh, positional tracking. It's a 1080p OLED screen with much lower... Um, they didn't say the resolution. Did they? <laughs> They it, said it, it to us off camera, and they said, special, specific, well, it's okay, because they said it went online. It's okay. not a secret. It's, okay. it's not a secret. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so that was just 1080p. Yes. I thought maybe more. No, and I don't think they'll do maybe more. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, you can get 7-inch 1440p panels, but mm-hmm. because of the low persistence mm-hmm. and the way they're getting low persistence of vision uh, and the frame rates that they have to run the game at to compensate for that, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, they can't expect that everyone's going to have a computer to run a game yeah. at 1440 at you know, 120 frames per second to play an Oculus game. Um, they did have the LCD 1080p panels on, at this, on the show floor at CES that we did not know about at the Intel booth. So if Those are the that, same ones that were at PAX, right? E3, I guess PAX. Yeah. Uh, because the pink eye ones. We didn't get to compare. And I would have wanted to, if, had, had we known that, would have tried those out before going into the demo. To, to refresh what 1080p looked like on LCD because we uh, I mean I only got again 15 minutes with that last year at E3. So the the 
but the high points on this are the positional tracking. So it's not just your orientation. It's where your, where your head is in space. And then the, the stuff that they've done to reduce latency on the display side. So that 1080p display that we saw at E3 last year, there was noticeable ghosting and motion trails and stuff like that when you turned your head. And the impact was, was pretty strongly negative. So I don't know if that could be I best thought. described as latency. Um, the... The ghosting, right? That's but definitely ghosting. Ghosting. It is, it is the ghosting. Persistence now, of vision was, is ghosting. Was that ghosting more noticeable in that prototype than it is in the DK1? You mean you're talking about the dev kit? Uh, yeah. I thought it was more noticeable in the prototype at E3. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's, that, that's, that's exactly sense. the prototype that I did not have enough time with I see. To, to compare. Because I feel like a lot of people are making the leap from that prototype, which most normals like me have not seen. Right. Right. So the, the dev kit doesn't have terrible ghosting. You know, it's not, it's not horrible. Obviously, legibility is an issue, but that's more of a resolution problem. So it seems like... Um, it is, it's also it is, an FOV problem, too, because the problem is when those pixels get distorted going through the optics, yep. then you blurry. only have focus on text in the, in the very center of the image. Yeah. Um, Having used DK1 more recently, mm-hmm. like notably in Octobercast, uh, the ghosting is... Dramatically reduced compared to DK one. Really, from in, in in the new OLED, low, that low persistence stuff. Yeah. really matters. I can't yeah, wait. It made a I huge cannot difference. Wait yeah. to see this. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, can't say night and day, but it is immediately noticeable. It was in, when you were shaking your head. Yeah. yeah. Now the the whole idea of this low persistence is the light is on for a split second and then shut off, and you have black pixels until it gets new information when they turn it on again. So the yeah. display is actually off more often than on, Correct. but it's on enough for your eyes to have that persistence. It has it's to do with your refresh of, rate, too. A factor of refresh rate, a factor of frame rate of the game. Yeah, probably more frame rate than refresh rate. But f- refresh rate being, assuming, 60 hertz. Yeah. Uh, they probably uh, want to lock them, I would think. They right? said it was a faster frame rate than 60 hertz. Uh, f- yes, yeah, so you have to overcompensate with yep. the frame rate, because... Yep. If you have if, if the frame rate isn't like V synced up and at a certain uh, multiple, yep. then your the off is going to be not synced up. You'll have tearing and um, bad stuff. Using OLED, uh, you allow also the um, the sub one millisecond of the pixel refresh time, yep. um, which is separate than refresh rate. Also, that's just the time it takes so the the pixel change colors, mm-hmm. and then also the strobing of the the light. So. Four things what combined. Light? Light? So, so the thing that the thing that they do with the Crystal Cove prototype that's new is if you think about it, when when the game draws a screen and it's at, it's correct at the time you draw the screen, then you move your head a mil, fraction of a millisecond later, and it's incorrect. So, what they're doing now is they turn off at the moment it's incorrect, the pixels turn off. It's not exactly strobing, they said, but it's it, it's the it's same concept, same kind, same kind of concept, yeah. Um, so that when you turn your head, the moment you start moving, the incorrect pixels go away and you don't see any more pixels until yeah. the data is correct again. And then those go away the moment they're incorrect and so on and so forth down the line. But this is completely transparent to your brain. Your brain sees a it, solid it image. It just looks really, really crisp. Yeah, so you do yeah. not see flickering. And with strobing, you get flickering if it's mm-hmm. strobed at a, a Are you sensitive frequency? to flickering on like DLP TVs and stuff like yeah, that, Norm? So if, I, if I move, I see the rainbow effect okay, very so, noticeably. So I never saw that before, and, and I, it's I, good to hear that you do, do it'd see be that. It's interesting to take one of these screens and hand, hold it in your hand and do this. Because yeah. I bet at some point you'd probably be able to see the and, flickering. And we'll and put that, the high-speed camera on it when we get one. Well, a high-speed camera, certainly, but I bet even the human eye. The, the nice thing about what they're doing is they have the... They have the thing strapped to your face, so any movement is locked. Is the screen right. well, locked to the 
axis and a lot of, of the head. a lot of the flickering stuff, or the rainbow effect stuff happens. Like what you said, if you well, that's DLP. You, I mean, and, uh, I mean the flickering stuff. But that's happens. it's yeah. the same sensitivity because you're yep. also looking at a screen with the world around you. But yep. like you said, because all you see is the screen and, and it's your brain locked is to your movements. To that, yeah, like then it's less noticeable. Well, the other thing yeah. is your peripheral vision is much more sensitive to flickering than your, than the core. Hmm. Um, so by having you in the goggles, you yeah. don't have you know your peripheral vision is. Effectively obscured by the by the kind of yeah. dive mask design of that of that he- headset, and they um, they tweaked the optics too, right? So the, the optics were huge. So inside you, it. it's ne- more is now in focus. Is that the idea? It seemed like um, you know how when you're putting on the dev kit, there's kind of a sweet spot where you get yep. it lined up just right. It seemed there was much less fiddling to get that sweet spot right, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Like again, we had 15 minutes with it and put it on twice, so. It, that could be because, like, I'm better at putting on those gla- those goggles now. I know what, how to how to do it, but the optics were noticeably like probably thirty to fifty percent larger. And isn't the screen now physically closer to your? I'm not sure about that. I think they said it they was. D- so. Th- there were interviews after the one we did that came out after that had new information. Um, Reddit did an incredible interview. You watched that video, right? Yep. Um, which they were very frank about one a DK two. Possibly coming out, coming out a second gen second, dev, second kit. dev kit, which may be you know would and DK two would have positional tracking, would have mm-hmm. low persistent vision, and, and DK two might screen. might be it will be close. It will be at least what you guys just saw. at least right. what we saw, and would could could we don't know the spacing between DK two and C CV consumer version, but <laughs> why don't we just use the words instead of the bad acronyms? I'm just talking Oculus speak. If you watch the interview, that's all they did. They're I like understand. DK1, DK2. We speak, like, I mean, we speak human here. I want to be like Nate and Palmer. Okay. They're so cool. <laughs> um, wow, Norm. We just don't know where between uh, the second developer kit and the consumer, the, uh, the second developer kit, or Crystal Cove and consumer, right. that the second developer kit's going to yeah. land. I mean, but it, that makes sense because they need to have something prior to release of consumer version that people who are making games presumably time to launch with the consumer version can test their final builds on and stuff like that so you don't have the iOS they also, the iPhone 5 problem. They also said that independent of uh, a mass release DK2 developer kit version 2 because they have specific uh, partnerships with developers they if developers request certain things they can make prototypes for the developers. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, even if developer kit comes very close to consumer release or not enough time, a bit lead time to get, there will be have been plenty of developers who have already had access to at least Crystal Cove quality prototypes, which they had like four, at least four of at the show. At, at the show, so yeah. it's, it's not like you know, the, yeah, yes, they're handbelt, but it's not like you know they only had the one or two. That frame that had all the IR LEDs in it was three D printed. Uh, yes, I mean oh, I'm sure they're three D printing some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, we don't know if the LED, the IR LEDs are flickering, uh, and, and if the camera is tracking uh, just position of the uh, IR LEDs. Is tracking the grid, or, or has or can actually identify yeah. the individual LEDs through the the, uh, the flickering of LEDs. Yeah. Which motion trackers, when you talk about um, uh, like movies, they actually do. Um, right, also, or cast AR for that matter. Yes, and cast AR. Uh, they also a lot of people asked whether it looked like the Crystal Cove was heavier front heavy and they answered that the crystal cove had a lot of that prototype had a lot of empty space between the screen and the edge just because they had to move the panel and do wiring work and so the final version will the be the final version smaller. will be more compact now i didn't realize that those leds were infrared that makes sense yes yeah uh, so it looks like a cheap 30 30 fps camera infrared camera or mm-hmm. a camera without a ir filter yeah that can see it 
Um, so it's, a lot of it's just the software. And I understand that it's, it doesn't get full uh, 180 degrees. It loses you at 180. So, so you can see where the position of the, the LEDs go on a, a frame that almost like looks like it clips on the outside of the old dev kit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're on the sides, the top, and the front. Mm-hmm. I don't think there were any on the bottom. I was doing like Top Gun slash Battlestar Galactica pilot moves in Eve Valkyrie where I was you know, flipping my head around back to back to see behind me. And because of the positional tracking, you can actually lean out over off of your shoulder yeah. and look out like behind the center post of the of the fighter, uh, which was which was pretty awesome. And I was going as fast as I could without giving myself whiplash, and it worked fine. Reminds me of Norm driving the truck for two hours, and when he would turn his head, he'd look out the window. But now yeah. he would he could actually do that. Right, it's not simulated in yeah. game. You could look out going frontward. You could actually, yeah. like in the, with uh, Euro Truck Simulator, if you if rotational head movement. In the game, it took that to mean that you were looking out the window, so you yeah. bo- faked the positional it, tracking. Yeah, it, but here, you actually get one-to-one yeah. positional tracking of looking. Maybe not completely behind you, because I don't know if the IR will track the full 360, but at least 180 well, degrees. From some of the interviews I saw, they did say it does lose you at about 180, well, but it, it resorts, yeah. it falls back to the standard accelerometer gyro sensor, right. so it's not bad. I mean, it re- then recatches you on the way back. And, and one of the things they talked about was that using all this stuff together, um, using the, the infrared camera and the, and the gyros and accelerometer together gives them another point of data, right. which helps them make the whole thing, uh, you know, it it's work, works as a holistic whole rather than individual components. The other thing that they confirmed in that Reddit interview, I don't think anyone else asked, was they will have wider field of vision in consumer version. What we saw, whether it's vertical or horizontal. Horizontal. It will be more than 110 degrees. Because right now it's like looking through a dive mask. That's the best best analogy I've I've seen for that. Um, So you see... You see, you know, I'm I'm holding my hands up in front of my eyes. But if you make C's with your hands and put them up to your to your yeah. eyeballs, that's pretty much what you see. At least with the, the the original dev kit, it's enough to convince you that you're immersed. It's pretty good, but, but they're going to go for f- even more immersion. There is, you're right. There's like a mask where you see this black peripheral. Yeah, but it, yeah, you kind of tune it out immediately. I think it's totally acceptable, even yep. in the dev kit. Um, more is always better. Uh, the other thing they talked about was that they they took a seventy five million dollars. Um, a round of funding, which it sounds like they're going to use to publish games. It sounds most certainly like they're going to yeah. de- develop, develop and publish, and publish games. games. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm short of saying that John Carmack was going to make like a, a game. He said John's very interested in making games. And in my last podcast of the year, this was one of my wishes. Was so John Carmack John Carmack would make games? Would yeah. would not just develop hardware. Right. Firmware, but that he would actually do some. He said, game "John, stuff. John's working on some stuff, and he really wants to make games. So they didn't want to announce anything. Well, they got to lead the charge. They got to show what VR uh, games can and should do." The first time I met him uh, was when we were talking about. I, I, I don't remember what we were talking about. We ended up talking about Snow Crash, and this was probably ten years after Snow Crash came out. So he was super like like that is a dream that he has lived for a long time. Um, it seems like so. I I I um. I got the strong feeling that they're treating this as a platform, like another platform for PC gaming. Seems like Valve is probably going to announce their own headset at at Dev Days this week, maybe or maybe at GDC or E3. Well, I don't know about that. I, I've J- heard Jonathan Blow uh-huh. recently said in an interview that the Valve headset is far and away the best VR experience he's ever had. And from what I understand, Valve is developing their own system in house, yeah. completely carte blanche, like whatever it costs do it. The Michael A. Brash thing. But it's not intended to be a consumer 
product yet. They're developing the best VR with the thinking that five, ten years from now, that will be what the consumers will have. The long view. No matter what, who makes it? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, it's really interesting because you know, Abrash, Abrash is at Valve and is working on the, uh, the VR stuff there. Yeah. Carmack is at Oculus. Oculus and working on the VR stuff there. And they're good friends. Yeah, they're good friends. But Abrash is the guy who wrote the assembler renderer, the software renderer for Quake. Yeah. Like he he wrote in an assembly assembler a low level high speed renderer for Quake, which is amazing. Like that these two dudes are doing this are back doing the same thing again fifteen twenty years later is yeah. is rad. Well, if you read Masters of Doom, Carmack always wanted to make the virtual world. He was yeah, that was always the goal. I think Quake was the stepping stone towards that. Well, because remember when 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 they were working on Quake. Like they would pop into IRC channels and talk about what Quake was going to be, and it was a like you would be able to walk through a portal in one server and end up on somebody else's server somewhere else. It was a you know it was a virtual world that was connected, and they, I think they thought Quake was going to be an open protocol for that, and mm. then they ended up just making a game. And it just turns out the VR is the problems of VR, the barrier, the the disconnect between reality and VR, and that your brain can discern. It's just a much higher barrier than you know a, a first person shooter and then, then the, the problem higher than anybody thought then then resolu- and, yeah. and, that, and they're still finding that out now yeah. uh, I think they said that low persistence of vision wasn't something that they even knew they had to solve for right. when they were starting the oculus and it's good that they with their engineers and researchers have gotten to a point where they're they realize they have to they have to have this in consumer when, version um, you you're pretty sensitive to the motion motion in the headsets did you notice any kind of twinge I know you're only in it for maybe 10 minutes but did you notice any kind of twinges when you're playing games on the, so on the Crystal Cove the Crystal Cove the biggest difference because uh, it was the first time we played Eve Valkyrie mm-hmm. I think I said this last week Eve Valkyrie is a game because it's designed so you're not only are you it's a dizzying game because you're in a flight simulator and the world is spinning around you in, in you know, it's a zero degrees, G flight simulator zero G yeah. you have six degrees of, of, of freedom in terms of flying um, but also you're encouraged to look around so like in in Hawken which is a, a simulator, right? And you have a lot of movement because you're in a mech jumping up and down. You're looking around and Hawken is more of a situational awareness and less you're, you're firing and charging. But in EU Valkyrie, your missile lock is your head looking around. Your head plays the role of that mouse. So you can only succeed if you are twitch moving your head fast enough. Not your eyes, and we'll get to eye tracking eventually. Um, but in Crystal Cove, Moving your head around, both like, moving the pl- ship around and your head around, was not dizzying in the same way that Euro Truck Simulator <laughs> was immediately dizzying. Um, and also, uh, going back to Carmack, he tweeted after CES that on, on his current prototypes, they're like at sub 10 milliseconds. On motion or on, on latency? Pic- late, okay. From, uh, from what they call it, what is it? Uh, pixels to photons. photons. I just want to point out that, that the positional tracking stuff is equally interesting i can't wait to see to see what that does to the immersion factor but it's going to be that's going to add a new level of complexity to porting games because position uh of the of the view is ne- was never meant to go outside of the head usually of these characters in the yeah. game or if there's a, a lean key it's usually binary you know you're either leaning or not or in, in between so the two if they states, move yeah. the perspective you may end up moving outside the head model you may end up seeing geometry that's not there it's going to take a lot more development in order to support that so that's why i think that's one of the reasons they're uh, in addition to cost uh, is why they chose that cheap 30 fps camera and not using something like the the 6 sense stem system the hydra system uh, because that's going to add you know another 100 dollars in terms of just 
magnets and electronics. Uh, IR, well, and IR also that are mag- cheap, and cameras are cheap, and accuracy is good enough. And the six cent stuff doesn't work if there's metal in your desk, right? Like it, it has problems. So um, I don't think game developers will need to turn on the positional tracking. They can, it will benefit. But they also talked about the native benefits. If you don't, even if a game doesn't have positional tracking, like Team Fortress, the fact that the software no has is tracking your head. That information is added to the IMU. To, to make it a more comfortable experience. So yeah. it will compensate for head movement mm-hmm. so that you, you don't have as big a disconnect between the game, even if the game doesn't take advantage of leaning and, and looking around. Right. It's like the, the, One of the things that Nate said was that when they put people in the, the Crystal Cove prototype that have never done this before, they, they last much longer before they punch out. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and now is the right time for anyone who has been following the Oculus development to point out all the information that we got wrong. <laughs> Welcome that in the comments, please. We just want to be more informed. I wonder how hard it's going to be to get the next developer kit because there's so much interest now. It's uh, not just backing a Kickstarter. I think that they'll probably send those to people who are getting ready to ship games. Yeah, they're going to give them all the big leagues. We're not, it's going to be forever if, before we get our hands on if it. If they're smart, if they're smart, what they'll do... They'll give it to us if they're smart. Yeah, give it to us. We, you know, we, we, we deliver the YouTubes. Um... No, if they're smart, what they'll do is is it'll be like a six week thing. Like here's the dev kit; it's out now, and six weeks later the games ship, and you can you can buy you know you can buy the real thing. I can't wait. I'm ready to go. Me this too. Crystal Cove thing, like like three hundred dollars, if they can match that target price, uh, the, the price of the of dev kit one for consumer release. It abs- What this demo did, and what you know their funding and all their talk of uh, partnerships. What ETH, uh, CES 2014 did was cement Oculus as a product you take seriously, not as a $300 gimmick and expense that you're going to show off to friends. Yeah. Like, you would actually use this <laughs> to play games. And the, the panel oh. developers are taking them seriously now, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's one other thing we should talk about. People have, like, some of the comments on that Oculus interview video were, hey, I, what the hell is going on? This We've been hearing about this thing forever. Why is it not out already? Um, I think that they've done a really smart thing by releasing that dev kit on Kickstarter and, and then selling them, obviously. Um, but but by waiting until by not releasing that, if they had released a consumer version last year, last Christmas, or even in the next six or eight months before there's titles that are actually going to use that and be good, like uh, Euro Truck Sim is an interesting novelty because the support was kind of hacked in there and it works, but it's real rough as Norm can attest. Um, and most of the games that support Oculus right now, the, like the actual games, not the tech demos that were designed to run with Oculus, are, are pretty rough. And even a lot of the tech demos are real rough. Like they need, in order for this thing to be a long-term success and not just another flash in the pan, they literally need games that are amazing. They need Super Mario 64. Killer apps. Yeah, the, the games that people want to play and are willing to spend $300 as if this was a console yep, launch. exactly. Um, and, and it takes time to develop games. Like, you know, a, a fast, bad game can be made in 12 months, but the games that we want to play and the games that I want to play with the Oculus, like Elder Scrolls games, take two, three, five years to, to make. So, you know. Don't buy a DK1 now. Do not buy a dev Unless now. you're a developer so and, what's and it, making a game. This, well, is, this is part of what's interesting to me, that if Carmack is making games, it's a return to the short game cycle. I don't think he's making the games. Short development cycle. I oh, think he's helping on. with engines. I think, I think he's making games. He's making games, man. Come on. I don't think that dude he's likes making, making a, games he's anymore. He's making an engine. Did you play Rage? I, well, I, he, I, he man, is, I love it as much as the next guy. 
Like I played. Let's not mention. If you want to, if you want to talk about number of hours put into games, I put more hours into Quake One and Quake Three than any other franchise ever. Yeah, and Doom. Yeah, but yeah, I think I think he is, and I think that it's going to be interesting because he can't spend the five whatever years it took to make Rage. He's got to spend maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, in order to ship. Which means it's a smaller scale project, which I think must be so fulfilling for him. So we'll see. Let's hope that it's not all microtransaction based. They're not taking the. No, I bet it's going to be hugely moddable, mod- uh, though, because it's going to be you know the typical Carmack structure. Do you want to talk about smartwatches at all? Does that do you do? You, what are, what's your feeling? I, about I would watch? buy the iWatch. You know, obviously, I would buy the iWatch. But you mean the one that doesn't exist and is imaginary. Whenever they want to take my money. Okay. But <laughs> uh, you know, I don't need to talk about it. I just said it's going to be great. I think the the, the new Pebble watch does not look appealing. The steel. Is yeah, a kind of fuggo. I walked through the MetaWatch booth to see what their new their new designy watches looked like. Also, not particularly appealing. They were all really big and kind of chunky, like Viderman big. <laughs> what does that mean? He always wore big watches. Oh, okay. Um, anything else from CES you want to talk about, Norm? This is the stuff I put on the list, but um, uh, uh, we've been all over. Did the we place. talk about three D printed food last week? Yes. Absolutely. Jeremy, do you want to hear about 3D printed food? No. That's, is that going to be a thing we, we really ever care about? Cake toppers. You no, know, I was a little disappointed that uh, our 3D printed food video, Joey cut out the Martha Stewart bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, FYI, we have a f- video on the site about 3D printed food, uh, candies, sugar candies, and chocolates. Um, but Is uh, that something that we're, that we're going to go buy, or is it, are we going to no, be printing our own 90% food? of things at CES, even the interesting stuff, 90% of the interesting stuff at CES aren't things that we're going to buy. It's proof concept technologies, and yeah. it allows us to forecast 10 years down the line as, as, yeah. as you know, armchair futurists. Um, I think all futurists are probably armchair futurists. I would, <laughs> I would say maybe there are two that are Isaac oh, Asimov. Valid, valid futurists. That, that post um, he made in 1963 was pretty good. Yeah. It's a great blog Genuine post. futurism. I, I liked your, speaking of printers anyway, the MakerBots that you guys showed. Uh, I thought that... Oh, right. You know, the, the, I'm, I'm the guy who thinks the camera is a cool feature. I, I think the camera is a great feature. Like as a... I, like that print's been going for 15 hours right now. Last night at one o'clock in the morning, I was like, "Oh, it'd be really nice to see how the print's going." No chance. I can't do that. Right. Um, the the network connectedness of those new printers is is a significantly reduced barrier to entry. It's something that not many other companies are doing right now at that price range. Um, th- like, th- th- here's the thing: they're building printers for people who don't have a 3D printer. They're not. They're not. A lot of times when we look at products like. All, well, all consumer electronics. Like you look at the new iPhone and you look at it as the dude who has last year's iPhone and has to decide whether it's worth spending six hundred dollars to get the new one. Um, and they're not in that business. They're in the business of selling printers to people who've never had a three D printer before. Um, I, I think that low end model is really interesting. I'm a little bummed that it's a, a half resolution of the of the Replicator One, Two, and the other models. It was going to be my first three D printer until you discovered that. Um, but I, you could tweak it. What does that mean? I'm sure you can probably get into the software. Like, if it's like the other printers we've used so far, you can get into the software and change the resolution yourself. He said, you, yeah, he said you could do that for the other two, but he didn't imply you could for that small one. No, I think he said for the small one. The build platform is, and the size of the print is the, the biggest limiting factor. But that's platform. fine. I mean, the kind of stuff that most people are going to be printing at home. Like, I, I figure... Dollhouse furniture. Yeah, doll, dollhouse furniture, action figures, games, stuff like that. Yep, yep, um, yep. Uh, or learning learning stuff like if you want to if you like I have a one year old child I fully anticipate having a functional three D printer in my house by the time she's eight 
if yeah. she's into if she's into making stuff. And that size for the that mini is perfect to put on actual put on your desk. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe I, not. Maybe not the office. I think the print size and the speed probably. I don't know what the speed's like in that. My hunch is that it's pretty fast because it's half resolution. Uh, so what we're when I say half resolution, I mean vertical slices are 0.2 millimeters or 200 microns instead of 100 microns at the default settings. My, I guess Bondo fixes everything. Maybe acetone also. A lot of people no on, no acetone because PLA. Oh, that's right. Well, a lot of people online were saying that PLA is um, inferior to ABS. And that I should look into an ABS printer. TN panels are so inferior to IPS. Um, so PLA, the the one thing that I don't, I think is really questionable with these printers, um, and I, I think we're going to see if we can get at least one or two of them to test out. I don't think the big one is worth testing. Um, but the the just for our audience, I mean, I'm sure people need that. I really question not putting heated build platforms in these. The the Replicator 2, not the Replicator 2X, didn't have a heated build platform. We used Atoms for six or eight months, and it's a nightmare. Like, it is really hard to get the plastic to stick to it hmm. um, at room temperature. You have to put, um, you end up having to coat the, the surface in uh, either uh, like blue painter's tape, which is pretty sticky, like not the sticky side, the, the non sticky side. Um, and you have to have the platform leveled really well. Uh, they did add better platform leveling, like a mechanism to make that easier rather than the existing mechanism, which is that you take a business card and you slide it under the under the nozzles. Each of the... Four, yeah, in four to six places, depending on the model printer. And that can go bad if there's like a little dab of plastic dangling out of... Since you're talking about you know 100 micron precision, if there's a tiniest daub of plastic that melted and drooped out of the nozzle when you used it last and you're leveling the printer, then that can get kind of hinky. Um, the mid-range printer uses a glass build plate, which is probably much better for PLA than than the other ones I've used. I've not used glass build plates yet. Um, but the low-end one was a plastic build plate, and I think the high-end one was a plastic build plate too. I can't remember the, the, the huge printer. So there's three printers, Mama Bear, Baby Bear, and Papa Bear. The Papa Bear is enormous and can print like life-size helmets that you can put your head in. Seven thousand? How much? It was oh sixty-five hundred dollars, sixty-eight hundred dollars, something like that. It's it's it is a it is a tool for people who actually know that they need a three D printer. I know Bill Doran was looking at that and thinking, oh, I have models for all of the stuff. He uh, builds props and armor. Yeah. So like, if you wanted to run off like knee pads or helmet pieces or stuff like that, then you can do that. Um, the, At some point, sculpting becomes in, in traditional casting, molding casting, way more efficient. Well, it depends on what skills you have. If you're a good CAD person, then maybe it's faster to do it that way. Not if you're a good efficient. sculptor, yeah. it depends on how many you need to make, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you're making one, one leads to the other. Yeah, exactly. Quite possibly. Yeah, um, but, and what about uh, PLA or extrusion versus this new laser... Uh, hardening version that like the uh, form, form seven yeah the form one uses um so the the like i think that we've reached probably the limit of at least unless something changes with what we can do with fused deposition printers which is what the maker bot and all the rep rep printers and you know all that stuff are, are um the hundred micron resolution seems to be about as small as you can get given the viscosity of the plastic as it comes out of the smallest nozzles you can do without running into massive clogging problems on the nozzle ends, which which I'm going to go ahead and tell you as somebody who's cleaned out a couple of nozzles, it's easier to just replace the nozzles when they clog than it is to try to clean them out Mm. because you have to get the nozzles to 220 degrees Celsius, which is really fucking hot and then kind of blow the, blow the, the melting plastic out. 
I don't know about you, but I don't like putting my lips on things that are 220 degrees Celsius. It doesn't feel good. Um, you end up, you don't do that. You push more plastic <laughs> through and then pull it out real quick, but yeah. it's a tricky process. Okay. Um, the, the light, the light based printers like the form form labs are really interesting, but like the, there's a lot of questions about materials still on that. The materials for that are a lot more expensive. Oh, um, the I haven't looked at their prices lately, so I'll do that right now. But the the maker the PLA and ABS plastic spools seem to have stabilized at about fifty bucks per kilogram. Um, I use about two kilograms of plastic every year if we print every week and then print some extra stuff. So it's not particularly expensive material. Um, you know, one of those spools is a kilogram, and they're big, heavy. Well, obviously they're kilogram spools. Um, the benefit of PLA is that it's non toxic. So it's cornstarch-based rather than ABS, which is a petroleum-based plastic. I do notice that when we print ABS stuff here, sometimes I walk away at the end of the day with a really gnarly headache. Hmm. I'd say it's probably not good for you. The material safety sheet says it's okay, but you know who knows. And and like it's one of those things that not a lot of people have been exposed to. You know, ABS melty melty ABS fumes outside of industrial settings. So we don't. We may not know. It's like the West Virginia water spill. Right. Who, who the fuck knows what that chemical does because they've never tested it. So um, The reason I wanted to get a MakerBot, and I know they're a little more expensive than a lot of the others, was because they have the whole community. They have the whole infrastructure. Nuts. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they have the, um, the, the website with all the objects I can get Thingiverse. on. Thingiverse. Thingiverse, right. They have the community and they have everything sort of built. They've been around a long time and they've refined everything. Um, so I don't. I hope that they move. Maybe I'll hold off till they move into the light-based printing because the the resolution of that does appeal to me. I mean, but, but the difference. The other thing to think about is if you're going to do scale, right? Like, what scale stuff are you going to want to print? Because if you're printing stuff that's fairly large, printing at 100 microns is is counterproductive because it means that instead of that taking an hour to print, it's taking 15 hours, right? Um, and you can finish afterward. Finish it. Yeah, and and yeah, you can you can smear it with uh, filler bondo. You can you know do the acetone fume trick, which is also super to- you know super unhealthy. Um, assuming you're doing ABS, you can't do that with PLA. A MakerBot also has for dual head printers now a dissolvable filament. I haven't tried that yet. I've got to, I'm going to actually order some because uh, I want to see what you do with that. And the resin, the resin for the Formlabs printer is. One liter for 150 bucks, so it's a lot more expensive because we're getting way more than one liter of volume out of that kilogram spool, or three liters of volume for you know it's it's expensive. So like for something to noodle around with with the kids, I think you're not going to do much better than a RepRap or a MakerBot or something like that. Okay, and, and just to just like you're a handy guy, I think that there's real benefit, and and maybe it's that you build a RepRap monkey around with it for a little bit and then decide you want to spend more. Like, I think there's a real benefit to building printers, your first printer yourself. Um, if you're going to be an, if you're an enthusiast, cause then you know how it works. Um, if you like, they're relatively simple machines, right? There's a, there's a print head with a motor in it that spits out plastic. There's an X, Y, and Z axis that move. Well, or sometimes there's not an X, Y, and Z axis, but for the most part, there's something that moves either the print head or the build platform on in three axes, um, and then there's electronics that control all of that stuff. And by putting together a couple of these, I have a much better understanding of how they work than I think I would, you know, if I went to 
Office Depot and bought something. Yeah, I'm, buying sure, a PC. I'm sure that's true. But the new ones, they have the, they're not even laser cut anymore. They have these new yeah, so vacuum formed cases, and they're beautiful. Uh, yeah, they're, they're st- I think they're still fr- steel frames with some nope. with some exterior plastic mm-hmm. that makes them look fancy. Huh. Um, the the steel frames are a little more rigid, which is nice. So you end up with less wobbling on the printhead. Assembled in the USA, they're Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, yeah. The new software is pretty good too. I hadn't used MakerWare in a while. Um, and I'm doing a print that previously would have bombed out right now, and it's it's gone. Like I said, 15 hours in. So, um, so that's MakerBot. I I don't. I'm, you know, I'm a little torn on them because they're not doing. They you know they started out doing the open hardware, um, and they've they've backed away from that. They've gotten a lot more expensive. I think that they're probably moving in the right direction now. I think that we'll see those prices continuing to come down as as things get cheaper to make. But I, I don't know. Eight hundred um, bucks is a good price for a three D printer for, for your first three D. Yeah, and when you can look at like solid doodles and stuff like that for four, five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, like it's real hard to recommend a fourteen hundred or thirteen hundred dollar start. Essentially, what is a really nice, well put together MakerBot cupcake size printer for fourteen hundred bucks? It's a gross oversimplification because I'm sure it's a much better printer than the cupcake was. But yeah. I mean, the cupcake was something that they put together with stuff you can buy at the hardware store for the most part. Price goes down, reliability yeah. goes up, usability goes up. Yeah, both ways. Find the happy center. Um, yeah, but but that said, the software the software that they're doing is much easier for people who don't know what they're doing to use. I think than Replicator G and all the other stuff that's out there. Anyway, okay, so that's it for 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 CES stuff. Um, net neutrality. This is the big, obviously, the big news item this week. Uh, a court has ruled that the FCC's application of the net neutrality principle is uh, against the law based on some real gnarly legal semantic stuff. And of course, what does this mean? Um, probably nothing for the short term. What, what did the ruling actually say and mean? The ruling says that the FCC doesn't have the rights to, to uh, control the um, uh, telecoms using the language that they applied in the initial brief or whatever it was that established the premise, the, the principle of net neutrality. Um, only so, applying to landlines. Well, t- net neutrality doesn't apply to cellular. Yes. So this is, uh, this case was only about net neutrality for, uh, for land broadband for landlines. Right. And all the, all the ruling said, and the ruling actually was, it, it, not the worst that it could have been for net neutrality was uh, said that the FCC has this incredible authority, but in the current uh, role of the FCC in the language of its uh, charter. of its charter, it does not apply to uh, broadband landline connections, telecoms, which they can go back and change, and then if, and then in which case they would have absolutely have authority over that. Right. So if had they said telecoms instead of information networks, it would have applied. See, I stuck my head in the sand over this article because I was too d- distraught that it might actually be true. Because all the he- headlines were net neutrality is overturned, d- overturned destroyed, yeah. end of the world. And I said, that can't be. I, d- I can't deal with this news right now. I'm going to wait and see what Norm says. Thank you. And so, well, hold on, one, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be concerned. Like, your, your congressmen and senators should be aware of your feelings about this. Like, that, that is something that needs to continue happening because it, it's going to be a constant battle. And also, telecoms are much better better at lobbying than tech companies. They spend who potentially will have to pay more and also pass the buck yeah. down. Um, 
the what what does this mean if it holds? It means that Comcast or Charter or AT&T, whoever your broadband provider is, can say, hey, we've noticed you watch a lot of Netflix. If you'd like to get a better Netflix experience for $5 a month, we'll prioritize your Netflix traffic over your neighbor's Netflix traffic. Or go to Netflix and say, hey, Netflix, yeah. you use a lot of our traffic. You have to pay more. That's a different Netflix thing, would have actually. to pass the buck down to you. Yeah. Uh, very different from SOPA also. They already do that with Netflix, actually. Well, I know Netflix plays pays. Yeah. They're 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 getting paid both ways. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah, to be continued is kind of where that ends up. Um. Uh, Google bought Nest for three point two billion dollars. Nest makes uh, thermostats and uh, smoke detectors now. Jeremy and, and lighting systems. Lighting yeah, systems. Yeah. Didn't they come out? Am I imagining that? Didn't they come out with a um, light for your bedside that tracks your sleep pattern? What? No, I don't. I think that's somebody else. Oh, is that true? I tend to think I'm up on these things. I usually do, but I think you're <laughs> wrong on this one. <laughs> All right. Well, I think, wait, there's nest.co.uk, which does sell lighting. Now, you guys go <laughs> go, go on. Talk. T- tell about the purchase. I'm going to visit the Nest up. store. Nest.co.uk is a is a night lighting company. Period. Maybe that's what you're thinking. They of? have a blanket about and. They have a custom water bottle with Nest written on it. Um, they got bought by Google. They consider themselves a robotics company. There was a really interesting article on um, the Wall Street Journal. I can't remember where I read it. Uh, I read it in Pocket it, last what, night. What should Jesus do? Uh, no, <laughs> that's different. That's um, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, no, that what, what should Jesus do? Yeah, what should Jesus do? Yeah. Um, it, with Tony Fidel, who's one of the founders, who's one of the designers on the iPod, uh, at Apple in the in the old days, CEO of Nest, the CEO of Nest, um, and th- you know, th- like their whole focus has been on robotics and kind of art- artificial intelligence. Um, it, it, you know, they took something that was previously that should have been simple, was needlessly complex, and made it simple again. Um, I don't have a I don't have a heating system in my house that works with a Nest, so I don't know what that's like. Did you buy one, Norm? Nope, I don't. Have, I bought one. I don't you- have air conditioning. It worked with the Nest, but it didn't. I didn't use it for anything but the Wi-Fi because the Nest was actually in a spot of the house where I never went, and okay. so it didn't know I was home, okay. and so it couldn't track and do the automatic scheduling. But it was great to have on Wi-Fi just because I, I could be upstairs, and we only had the one thermostat in the basement. I could be anywhere, and I could adjust the temperature. Cool. Um, I bought the thermostat last year. I mean, the the, the smoke detector. Yeah. Um, and and so the weird thing about that is it uses the same presence stuff. Uh, it knows when I walk up and down the hall. It knows um, like at night it has a light sensor, so it knows if I'm up in the middle of the night and I walk underneath it, it turns on a little light that shines down and illuminates my path just That's very cool. dimly. Um, it, when, it, when it goes off, when I, burnt, um, when I left a cast iron pot in the oven the other day when I was warming up the oven, it, uh, it made a lot of smoke, and it said, hey, the smoke alarm's getting ready to go off. Do you want this to happen? No, the smoke alarm's getting ready to go off. It the the actual it, unit the said unit that? says that it sent me a push message. Oh, at the same time it said, "Hey, we've detected smoke," and you know, and then it started doing a countdown. Where it's like you have ten seconds to stop the horrible shrieking noise. Um, they're really neat products. I I don't understand. I mean, I know that they were going to get a round of funding that was going to value them at like two billion dollars, which kind of makes sense because they are the only people in this market, as far as I know. Um. I got Nest confused with Withings. 
Oh, weird things make scales and, and yeah. blood pressure cuffs. It, and, and now a sleep light. So that, yes. pardon me. I apologize. I don't think Withings is worth $3.2 billion. <laughs> it's a neat scale, though. Uh, I think if Google wants to get inside, uh, Google have Google services and Google Now inside your home in every room outside of your office and not in your smartphones, then Ness is the perfect way to do it. So they said, if, if they said to, explicitly we, they didn't want to do that, though. No, they said that we have the Google services. We have very, very a lot of opportunities that we're not ready to talk about now, but we're very interested in seeing how we can use those services in our products. It's We're data. exploring ways. It's data. What they said, what they explicitly said they wouldn't do is take consumer data to do anything but improve Nest services and products. Somebody made a joke, I don't know if it was on your forums or Reddit, but that Google now has the ability to raise the temperature in your house until you join Google+. Plus. <laughs> it will make you like them. Oh, that's terrible. Um, so that means Google bought, bought Boston Dynamics. Like They're deep in robotics now. Robotics yeah. and physical real world business. Totally cool. You can't get you can't get data without real world things. That's true. Um, so we talked about Dell 4K monitors. Uh, did, you, did you guys get outraged about the Gmail Google Plus? Nope. Thing. Nope. Not at all. No, I didn't not, understand not that at outrage. No, I don't have. I mean, I don't. I I I'm open to people emailing me. Maybe more so than others. Maybe I, I have a little more patience for that but uh i think there's a harassment concern was the thing you know more than anything so the gist the gist is for people who don't know um google added a setting and was it on gmail it was on gmail right what the setting is a gmail setting not a google it's not a google plus setting it's a gmail setting that lets people lets you opt out of having people email you through google plus without giving those people your email address so somebody could type Will, email Will Smith into Google+. Plus. It'll send me an email message, which I already get if I'm up, up on Google+. Plus Anyway, if they send me a message with Google+, Plus, I get the same email address, email message. It just gives them a way to respond. Like I guess if I respond to that email, address, email then they get an email message back, and, and it goes back and forth. Then they know your email address. I it, guess it, then they know my email address. It's the same way that Google Groups works currently. Right, right. Um, I didn't understand what the kerfluffle was about. Um, they have since changed it for people that they changed the policy. I mean, okay, it should have probably been an opt-in thing rather than an opt-out thing. Anytime you give people access to your private information, that I'm okay with that being an opt-out rather an opt-in rather than an opt-out. Um, they um have since fixed it for people who have a large following. How so? So. The default setting is now only people that you've added to your circles on Google Plus mm. uh, can do that. Not everyone, because the problem was everyone on the internet could type in Jeremy Williams and email you, hit your email box if they so desired. Um, I, I don't. I don't. It seems. It seems like they should have just made that people you've added to your circles the default setting rather than rather than. Um, now you're saying that's the default setting across the board now? No, no, that's only, only the default setting if you have more than a few thousand followers on so Google+. So there's, there's a line? Okay, yeah. gotcha. So if you're a famous, then I see. Then, then you don't get hassled. Are you a famous? I was famous enough. I see. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't look. I was curious. <laughs> um, they sent a different... If, if you are a famous, then you got a different email welcoming you to this wonderful new feature. Um, nice to be a famous. It must be. Um, SimCity... You remember SimCity, guys, right? 
Yeah, yeah. EA's fabulous rebooting of the SimCity franchise. Yeah, went went without a hitch. Uh, yeah, it's online only. I give Could it a only nine. be no wait six point four. No wait <laughs> a two. Did they revisit that again now that it's I, fixed? I no um, the when they when they launched that game, they said, "Hey, it won't work in offline mode." And then somebody either at Rock Paper Shotgun or who who the Rock Paper Shotgun people talked to hacked in offline mode. Um, it now has an official offline mode as of the tenth patch, the tenth monthly patch, which comes out soon, I assume. Um, that game was a punchline for most of last year. I think they they single handedly raised and burned the SimCity franchise name for all time. Um, but now at least I guess you can play it offline. So that's nice. Um, BlackBerry is doubling down on hardware keyboards. So first they fired Alicia Keys. Um, first they fired Alicia Keys and now they're doing a keyboard only mode. Uh, now they're saying they're going to do hardware keyboards going forward. They're there have been an influx of uh, of accessories for the iPhone to add keyboards. Um, Those things that clamp on and are Bluetooth. Clamp onto the bottom. Those and seem I, it, terrible. Just, just like the stylus, it is a, is a imperfect solution to a, 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 a problem. Didn't I read that somebody owns the patent to that and is very litigious about defending it? I'm sure. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, I, the... At this point, I've gotten good enough with the software keyboard that I don't miss hardware keyboards at all. Yeah, and I carried a BlackBerry for for a couple of periods on and off over the years. Um, I I kind of feel like the hardware keyboard is like the kind of the old guy that prints out his email and then writes the response and his secretary types it in for him. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. You know, um, you know what's cool just on the subject of typing on phones is uh, I just noticed. I don't know if it's an iOS seven update or if I didn't notice it, but iOS 7 now understands, um, what do you call those words when you combine them? Conjunct? Mondragreens? Whoa. I don't know. Portmanteaus? No, no, no. Like will, like, will, um, like when you, uh, W-E apostrophe L-L, you know, like. Or, Real contractions. Contractions. Yes. So it, <laughs> What data can't do. It knows yeah. contractions now. So it, it'll, it'll figure it out based on context is what I'm saying. So like if you do W-E-L-L, it'll leave well. It's better. And then it, if you type in go. It'll fix the last word. It'll put an apostrophe oh, yeah. into it. It definitely goes back. Like, it, it uses forward context instead of just past context. Now. Is that new? That is new in iOS seven. I love it. Yeah, I, I noticed that first thing in like beta. The first beta I installed, I was like, wait, it just changed the word two words back. How did I that am, happen? I am so scorned by this that I just go, I backspace and fix it. But yeah. recently, I've been saying I just start typing, yeah. and I was amazed. I love it. So that's great. This is what my dad does too. His emails are almost illegible. Um. Uh, finally, the FTC, this happened over the holidays, but the FTC and the FDA are cracking down on personal genetic sites like 23andMe and GeneLink that were presumably giving you medical data based, medical information or medical advice based on your genetic profile. Um, it's, if you haven't logged, if you, I subscribed to 23andMe, I paid for that. I thought it was really neat. A lot of the information that was really neat is now gone. So they've had to pull it all down. No. Yeah. So a lot of the things that said you have this chance of having prostate cancer or colon cancer or whatever, that's all disappeared. I thought they couldn't market it anymore, but they were going to leave all that information. I just sent my spit in. I can't find it in there. It may be that they buried it someplace or I have to opt into something, but I dug through it last night for a fairly lengthy period of time and didn't see anything. When the announcement came out that they were under pressure, I had this kit sitting on my desk for nine months and I finally sent it in. And I guess I was too late because I still haven't gotten the results back. It usually takes two weeks. 
No, not in my case. It's been a month, but oh. uh, they told they told me several months. Check your spam. Oh, maybe they're backed up then. Anyway, um, I think that's it for news. Let's uh, hit the music. Uh, maybe Norm, you should go take that call when we have to take that, mm-hmm. and um, Jeremy and I will talk on for a minute. Hey, Norman Chan, what have you been testing? I want to talk for the next six minutes while I have time about her. That's not what we... You'll be back before the end of the show, and we can do that in the fake outtakes. Okay. What have you been testing, Norm? You have a watch. <laughs> uh, I have a... It's a, that's it's just, a that's physical wristwatch. Uh, yes, it's a physical wristwatch, and I thought it would be best to wear a wristwatch before a smartwatch comes out so that I can actually have something to say about Have you ever worn a wristwatch before? Yeah, of course. When I was five. Mickey Mouse wish watch. You had to learn how to tell time. Calculator wristwatch in elementary school. You know, you go through phases. Even my son has a wristwatch. Yeah. I saw a really cool watch in the kids section at Nordstrom the other day. There was absolutely nothing insightful about wearing a wristwatch that all the millions and millions of people who wear wristwatches don't already know. It's kind of a style choice, though. It absolutely is a style choice. Um, But I don't, there's going to be like thousands of tech writers who never have worn wristwatches or currently don't and will want to say things about smartwatches when Apple releases a smartwatch and I don't think that's valid unless you actually wear wristwatches. I used to wear a watch before I had a phone. Yeah, me too. I needed to know what time it was. Exactly. I had one of those Seiko automatic, it wound automatically and charged a battery and ran a quartz watch. That's heavy. I had calculator watches for years. I never was cool enough to wear a calculator watch. Um, anything else you've been testing, Norm, besides wristwatches? Uh, uh, I don't think we talked about this since uh, before you went on break, but uh, Lenovo Yoga uh, Pro. The Haswell inch, one? The Haswell one with the super high-resolution screen. Um, was disappointed by it because the screen was uh, too high-resolution for Windows. Yeah, I was going to say, how does um, it handle... It does not handle desktop well at all, even with pixel doubling, because uh, many, many programs, web browsers, Chrome and Windows, doesn't pixel double your... your fonts uh, ie does but again every time i use a windows uh, 8 laptop all it does is make me wish for a touchscreen on uh macbooks um yeah we didn't talk about it, but there's a lot of windows 9 rumors coming that it'll be a 2015 product um and that they're going to unveil more details at build in a couple of months yes build being in san francisco again i just got invited to that so we'll we'll have somebody there um and uh, I don't think anything else that we didn't talk. I didn't talk about uh, how does the it, last podcast. Does it not quad? Will it not do the quad resolution thing on the desktop? Or do no, you, you have to, you can, you have to I mean, change the DPI manually? You can change DPI to two hundred percent. Okay. Um, the good thing about Windows is you can also change the one hundred fifty percent or one twenty five percent. A lot of things right. will scale well, but some a lot of things also will not scale at all. But and when you change in it, dialog boxes when, specifically. When you change it to two hundred percent, it's not smart. Most of the apps aren't. Is there a way for apps to be smart and do things like display the photos at full resolution inside that that frame? Like yes, OS they'll just does? ignore DPI scaling. So so like Lightroom ignores yes, DPI they, they scaling. Will ignore okay well, across the board. Okay, that's that's nice at least. Um, we talked about the Nest Protect. Uh, I built some Lego over Christmas, over the holidays. Norm, any Lego? Um, oh, not stuff you can talk about, probably. Not stuff I can talk about. Okay. <laughs> I mean, not a big secret. I just want to save it for video. That's exciting. We didn't talk about the Simpsons Lego. I, I think it sucks. Norm hates the Simpsons Lego. Jeremy, what did you think about the Simpsons Lego? Um, it's about time. And it looks cool. The minifigs look terrible. No, they don't. They don't look fig. like they don't look uh, like minifigs. I mean, they they I would they say they, like they, they look inconsistent with minifigs. That's that's why. Why not get a little Simpsons toy? Eh, okay, fair, fair enough. I like Simpsons toys. 
My son has been building uh, Minecraft Legos. Oh, I did those. Perfect sense. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Is it really They're pretty good. Sense? Are you kidding me? Uh, conceptually, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, you're bu- they're building blocks. Minecraft was Lego digitally. This is the but- Norm Chan Haters Minute. <laughs> Minecraft, you're, the idea is that you're building whatever you want. And Lego naturally is, like, if you, if you had a box full of, of bricks and you just built a world, that is the equivalent of Minecraft. But to buy a kit and to, say, build something very specifically to look like Minecraft, pre-designed Minecraft world as a tribute to Minecraft yeah. is not in the same spirit. You understand you don't have to follow the instructions, though. I mean, it, you do maybe the first time to yes. get a feel for it, but, but it, they don't even give you enough pieces it. to, you know, to make it... They give you a bunch of extra pieces in each of those kits. They give you, like, 30 extra pieces. So buy, most, buy a couple very kits. Generous. But it does come with the Creeper and Steve minifig, which is so, pretty so cool. Uh, absolutely. It is a tribute. To, it is, if you like Minecraft, and here is the thing you love that was based off Lego... <laughs> In statue Lego form. It's you can a, buy three different yeah, tile if sets. Buy, if you buy many of those I've kits. I've joined them together, then, and then they are can, one giant Minecraft. Then Do you these. have this? I have all three, yeah. So oh, yes, wow. your, your building blocks are tile sets. Then. I got them for Christmas. They're for 10-year-olds. I thought it was pretty advanced. I mean, I'm dealing, I didn't know where you were going with they I had a hard time so with them. What the them, fuck but, are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You're grown men. No. I, they're little tiny pieces. There's a lot of work and little intricate parts. The, the only thing I would knock about those Minecraft Lego kits is that they're really hard to take apart. It comes with the It does come with the, 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 the duber. The, and it's the second generation one, the good one. Is that the word? The, uh, no, no, the no, 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 no. Absolutely not the no, duber. It's not called the, don't call it the duber. Um, the brick separator is yeah. the technical term, I believe. But it's the orange one, not the old green one. So it's much easier, but it's still a lot of flat one-by-one one one pieces and stuff like yeah. that. It's kind of tricky. Um I think that's it for me. Do you want to take a couple questions, uh, Jeremy, while Norm goes and does a phone call and then comes back in time to talk about her at the I'll, end of the show? I'll probably listen to you answer the questions, but I'm happy to. All righty, then. Emails? Well, but we do the other one. Emails. Yeah, we don't do emails. We do emails. No, 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 no. Questions. Boom. If you have a question for This Is Only Test, the email address is podcast at tested.com. Uh, keep your questions. We do audio questions and written questions. So what that means is keep your written questions relatively short. Keep your audio questions under 45 seconds. And please listen to it before you send it. If it sounds like you're recording it from like, I don't know. What's something that sounds bad when you record it? Uh, through a rug. Through a rug on the back of a bus. If you are wrapped up in a, in a, in a carpet standing on the back of a bus and it sounds like that, don't send the question and just re-record it until it sounds good. Uh, our first question comes from Anthony Strudwick, and he says, Hello, Tested Crew. I was catching up on the October cast. Couldn't watch it live due to a family emergency. And during one of your hot pepper discussions, you jokingly asked what would happen if you touched your junk after eating one. Unfortunately, I have made that mistake in the past, and this is my story. Last summer, before leaving my grandparents' house, my grandpa thought it would be funny to give me a habanero pepper. At the time, I had no idea what a habanero pepper was, and being the hot pepper-loving guy I am, I ate it without question. I did not take, it did not take long for me to realize just how hot this pepper was. I was 15 minutes away from my house, and the only thing available to quench the flame was water. Finally, after 15 minutes of torture, two bottles of water and a glass of milk, the heat finally began to stop. Not long after that, I found myself needing to use the restroom due to the large amounts of liquid consumed. I did my business as usual, but after two minutes, my crotch began to sting and burn. I had no idea what was going on in my pants, but it was getting worse fast. Eventually, I freaked out enough to hop in the shower and douse my flaming man parts only to realize afterward what was going on. 
Needless to say, I now wash my hands thoroughly after eating anything spicy before taking a leak. <laughs> Should have doused his man parts in whipped cream. Yeah, the whipped cream is the real is the real winner here. Um, I don't think I have anything to add to that. I would say don't touch your junk after eating peppers. You know, when when I do you eat peppers? Do you cook with peppers? I like to. I end up paying for it, but I like to. I started wearing gloves when I'm chopping peppers. Mm. Like especially if it's something really hot. Smart. Yeah, because it's it's just it's too well. A, I'm afraid to pick up the baby. <laughs> yeah, because that would be bad. That's serious. It'd be yeah. horrible. Absolutely. Um, but mainly because I don't. Like I'm, I'm always afraid. It's hard to get like soap and water doesn't necessarily take that oil away, mm. um, so you can get it on your eyes and cause real problems. Mm-hmm. But like uh, olive oil, they say, is it or or no? Uh, Anything like, with fat helps okay. lipids, lipids. Yeah. Okay. So that's why you drink milk or do whipped cream or whatever. Um. Uh, next question comes from. Oh, that's the same question. Uh, this one comes from Michael Madden. He says, hello, Tested Crew. Last week you had a discussion about buying game titles digitally versus physical discs. While I always enjoy your talks, I was a bit saddened at the lack of perspective on the issue. Specifically, the issue of rights was not taken into consideration at all. With physical media, you have the same ownership rights you would have with anything else. But with digital media, you are a licensee, which means you cannot resell or loan the product, and they can terminate your service if they feel like it. While this might not be important to you, it is a valid point. With digital content, there is a trade-off. Ease for ownership rights. Until there is a digital bill of rights entitling uh, uh, me to an equi- equivocal guarantee, I am uh, allotted now for... He, he's buying physical media because he wants rights, basically. That's, that's where this ends up. The last sentence doesn't make that much sense. Um, I, I mean, I assume this is while, while I was gone. You guys talked about discs versus physical media. No. Oh, okay. Um, he's absolutely right. Yeah, I, I, I buy digital a lot. Um, I buy digital based on platform. So, like, I buy Nintendo stuff mostly on cartridges still uh, because their their digital distribution terms are kind of gnarly. Like, if for example, if you lose your 3DS, all of the you've also lost all of the games that are stored on the SD card in your 3DS. Even if you back up that SD card, those games are tied to that particular piece of hardware. Even if you have downloaded them from their eStore. Even if you download them from their eStore. That's nuts. It's, it's not good. Um the Sony terms seem to have changed a little bit with the PS4. I haven't quite wrapped my head around that yet, but I haven't bought a lot of games for PS4, so it's not an issue. Um, I feel like Microsoft, even though they do reserve the right to kill uh, your ability to play all of the games you've bought if you misbehave on Xbox Live, I kind of I don't misbehave on Xbox Live, so I'm kind of okay with that. It's a little scary with kids around because you always wonder what's going to happen if, like, you know, it's not an issue now, obviously, but when you have six and eight and ten year old kids and they're yeah. playing games and whatever, who knows what they'll do. But um You're okay with saying, Fine, I don't need to resell this. I'm committing this money to this game for me and my account forever. Yeah, I don't resell games though, so it's not like for me it's a reduction of clutter. Or give it to a friend. I guess Steam has actually taken is the only one who's taken that step where you can now lend games kind of across your uh, friends. I don't think it's across friends. I think you have to be in the same house. Is oh, that, wait. Is that, I think you can give them to anybody online. But There's you, a new thing, yeah. yeah. But you now can't play it. I think that's only for stuff you haven't activated yet. Okay. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I could be wrong. We, we should look into that because yeah. I, I think maybe it, it is for anything. I, think, I like a lot about how Steam works, um, but I don't really like the like, – I still feel like, like if, you're, if you're, something gets broken with your account on Steam, you're probably – pretty boned because yeah. i don't know 
like that you can call someone and get help with that. Um, I'm sure I, like I've heard both really good stories from people and horror stories. So I don't like you, you with the anecdotes like that, you never kind of know where the truth lies. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, this is a, this is a problem. And if you are into selling games back or giving them to friends or whatever, you're done. You shouldn't buy digital. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's it's the irony is of course that Microsoft with the Xbox One had a whole strategy for turning. I guess they were going to take all physical rights away and make everything a digital, but with some limited sharing and stuff like that. Um, and people completely flipped out and they had to change their policy mid course. Well, to his the, this reader or listener's point, that's probably why Microsoft wants to do that. No, well, of course. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft. Everybody wants to kill GameStop, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're they're hey I I buy a game on Tuesday for sixty dollars I sell it back on Friday for twenty dollars and then they go back and resell it for fifty five dollars why would Microsoft and Sony and the other publishers not want to get rid of and that? and there's so much markup there that it's there's not a whole lot of money in it for the end user especially once the games are old you know yeah. if it's a new game then you can make maybe you know more than half your money back well and if you take if you t- but you're but then you're paying thirty dollars for a short for a three day rental or a five day rental or something like that. It's insane. But if you were to buy it digitally, you would not even be well, able to do true. that. That money doesn't come back. Yeah. The the other problem, I, I mean, and there's also a concern where the where the creators of the games make no money at that point either. You know, that's that's a thirty dollar swing for GameStop, not for you know whoever made the game that we're talking about hypothetically. Um, I, I don't know. I I. I mean, part of me says if games were priced more reasonably, you know, if we, if if you were looking at thirty or forty dollars for AAA titles, you know, I don't feel bad not being able to resell Thomas Was Alone that I bought on Steam because it was ten bucks, and I feel like I'm I'm always there's always a chance that I will want to go back and play Thomas Was Alone. I really like that game a lot. It was really good, and my ten bucks was well spent. Um, yeah, the, no, the convenience factor wins for me. Yeah, I mean the fact that I can download it on any machine. And I never have to worry about a box on my shelf collecting dust, which for me is actually a problem. Like, yeah. I don't like that anymore. My garage is full of shit that I don't ever use because it's in my garage. Yeah. I love nostalgia as much as the next guy, but I have moved to appreciating the digital versions. But there's also, I mean, there's also a concern about archival stuff, though. Um, if you look at, if you look at what happened with not last generation consoles, but the PS2, Xbox, um, uh, GameCube era, you know, a lot of the stuff that was online on the Xbox One and even early Xbox 360 games like Shadowrun and, and some of that stuff just doesn't work anymore because they turned off, you, you know, when they disabled the version of Xbox Live, you, you, you know, am I going to be able to download my copy of Brothers that I bought from XBLA 20 years from now? Yeah, Probably it's a, not. That's a good point, but I, yeah. do, I trust the community on that one. I think once, you know, we get past enough um, years where those consoles um, have become so easy to emulate and that software is so easy to download and the companies care so little about protecting those rights. That's true. That we'll be in a spot where we can replay them. I don't know if companies will ever care about protecting those rights at this point. I feel like that's probably the HD remix is a perpetual perpetual part of our lives now. Yeah, yeah maybe. But there'll be a period where they, they don't care as much as they did and they or, will. <laughs> or their, their companies are sold or whatever. Right. Okay, so I don't think there's ever going to be a digital bill of rights for people who buy stuff online, though, which is unfortunate. Um, last question is from Chris Marley. He says, hey, buddies, my name is Chris, and my question is about designers or editors using Macs. Is there a reason? I'm not a PC elitist or anything. I'm just curious as to why. 
Every time I watch something like the Verges show Small Empires, every office he goes to is filled with Macs. It seems that people involved with photography, video production, or web development use Macs. Why is that? Have a nice day. I think Norm is going to answer this question. Age-old question, isn't it? Um, in the old days, it was because of font rendering. So in the old days, you used Quark Express, which was, I think, a Mac-only program for a while. Um, and the reason uh, magazine designers, when I was working in the magazine business, used Quark on a Mac was that the font replication was the same from the screen to the printer that you use for proofs in the office to the printer that you use to make the thousands of issues of magazines, which actually, you know, you, you, if you make a mistake with font rendering, you can lose lines of copy and, you know, stories can stop making sense. All sorts of stuff can go bad. Um, that has been less of an issue in the post windows 95, 98 and especially XP timeframe. Um, I, I know for a while it was also about color reproduction cause they have better, they had for a while, it may not be better, but at least the color calibration routines were familiar to people on Mac and they weren't on windows. Um, and then for video production for a long time, it was because final cut was a Mac only program. Um, and the, yeah, it still is. But yeah. then they they kind of ruined Final Cut for the professionals. Yeah, with ten. Yeah, and now everyone uses Premiere, ironically, which is on PC as well as Mac. But they were already on Mac, so most of them just stick there. And my hunch is that people who are using Premiere on a Mac are probably um, like our video workstations are. Some of them are four years old at this point because you know while there've been improvements in coding speed from a usability standpoint like you don't need to upgrade those machines that often anymore so i mean at some point we'll get a shiny new mac pro for joey but until then he will keep using the old silver towers and and they'll be fine so i don't see just um anybody buying pc laptops or desktops in my space and i'm a, you know i just have a small group of friends in my family but everyone's buying macs anyway not even artists and um and video professionals it seems like that's just where the momentum is so well on laptops it's um there's two things one i i switched to macs in like 20, 2009 2010 somewhere in there um because i like the os you know vista was a disaster windows 7 wasn't out yet um the the OS ten the stuff that they had changed in OS ten at that point was really productivity focused and it was really designed to make the small screens of the laptop feel like as usable as my giant desktop monitor was um, with you know, and it's simple stuff like expose right so you could see all the windows at once just by gesturing down on the trackpad the other thing for me on the Mac laptops is that the trackpads for so many years were infinitely better than the trackpads on every PC laptop I ever used, even the ones that were kind of okay. Um, and and it, when you combine those two things, then all of a sudden I had a four and a half or five pound laptop that I could use as effectively as I used a big desktop computer three years before. And, and that's really compelling for the kind of work that I do. It doesn't apply to everyone, but I know a lot of people bought Mac laptops because of that. Now it's just industrial design, I think. And yeah. there's a cachet. And, you know, I guess you could make the argument that artists care more about the aesthetics and Apple has that over most PC manufacturers in terms of the hardware yeah. design. Yeah. I mean, and, and a lot of it is once you get into an opera, once you get locked into an operating system, that's where you stay. Right. And my main PC is a PC just for the argument. For, the thing that you use. So I use my PC. I use my PC at home for playing games and editing video because it's a hexacore. Yeah. It's a big hexacore thing. And Premiere really likes that. And, and that makes it, 
you know, that's good for me when I'm cutting a two hour podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for day to day, like writing and stuff, I use my laptop because I can sit on the couch. Um, that'll do it for questions. As always, the email address is podcastattested.com. Keep your questions short, keep them coherent and cogent. And, um, I guess that'll do it for us this week. Jeremy, did you have anything you were testing you wanted to talk about? Uh, does that include games I've been playing? We can talk. Let's let's let me play the outro, and then we'll talk about games for a little bit, and then we'll sure. talk about her. Uh, today's outro comes from Ad Hoc. It's uh, if you want to make a custom outro, we haven't had any in a couple of weeks. The way to do that is to search for raw outro song file. The instructions are in that thread on the forums, and you can post your uh, edited uh, outro file to SoundCloud. Make sure you enable downloads, and we may use it on an upcoming podcast. Uh, so here it is. Thanks, Ad Hoc. Do you want to talk about the Star Trek convention? I feel Hell yeah, I want to talk about, you talk about that little... <laughs> So, Jeremy Williams. Yeah, I... Um, Did you buy new consoles? I didn't ask. Just the PS4. Okay. I don't... Do cable TV. I'm one of those cable cutters, and so I have not. I'm not interested in the um, TiVo functionality, the DVR functionality. It's no, there's no DVR functionality. It, see, I, I, you watch TV I through the Xbox, so I just it just knows how to change my channels. It knows how to change channels. For I'm you. not interested, and it takes 75 watts of power Oof. while it's doing that. Which well, is a lot. Um, so I'm not interested in that. The UI doesn't excite me. Most of the games are going to be cross-platform, so. I went with the PS4 because I like um, I liked the PlayStation 3 more than I thought I would. It came out first, and the hardware's nice, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So there you go. Um, but the game I've been playing is is only the game that came out yesterday, Broken Age. Oh, I haven't played that yet. I downloaded it last night. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's surprisingly, uh, there's surprisingly a lot there that I had no idea about. It's like, an adventure. It's this is the this is the first big Kickstarter game that's come out, like the first big yeah. dollar one. And I this, mean, like FTL the, and a bunch of other stuff came out. Double Fine has gone all in with it. Like this is they're betting the company on it. They think that if this game isn't successful, the whole company is going to be in some trouble. And they are passionate about making this a good game. And it's it's I'm really excited because I've watched every documentary and there've been a ton of yeah, the, the guys who did the hours and hours, um, hours. two player productions. Yeah, two player productions. That's who I was trying to come up with. So they've done it. Oh, okay. I hit the wrong button. <laughs> so they I just uh, touched my trackpad. I just want to say that they've done a great job shielding the viewers through countless hours of documentary from the game while showing a little bit. They showed several voice actors and mm-hmm. lots of scenes, but it's I'm I'm immersed. It's a fun game. There's uh it, I Are we hold on. Are we supposed to talk about this? Yeah, yeah, no. They they said it's cool. They said okay. it's okay. To, to let your reviews go, to not talk about what happens after a certain point in the game, okay. preferably. So they, so they basically gave there's, to backers... There's, there's no embargo. Like that, that sheet that they usually give pre-release games right. where they're like, here are, the talking, yeah. here are the things we would ask you not to talk about in your review. That's exactly. funny. Um, it's, it's the problem. The, my problem with the game is it's, it, there's not a whole lot of puzzle solving. I mean, I'm a couple hours in, and there's three or four things you might call puzzles. They're very easy, and it's supposed to ramp up. The Act 2 is supposed to be particularly harder, but uh, I, I figure since there hasn't been a popular adventure game in eons... Well, Walking Dead. 
you consider that an adventure game? I think I, that's an. I'd call that. I mean, it's like an act. It's an. Well, I guess you're right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's about talking. No, you're right. It, it's but it's kind of of the talking adventure game genre more than the than the like the old Lucas Arts right. kind of. Which, here's an inventory. Figure out which way the things go together to solve the problem. In this front is of a you. yeah, and, and you know that's a good point because Walking Dead, even though it's in 3D, and this is very much 2D, mm-hmm. um, it, there's a lot of that you know, kind of pixel hunting in in both games, and yeah. so you're looking for what you're supposed to click on in some cases, but. Unlike the classic games, this is pretty straightforward, and it's more of like you watch the cutscenes play out, and then you click again, and he walks, and then you click again, and another cutscene. And so it's, a, it's very easy to get into this game. There's no, nobody's going to get stuck, and I, I'm sure that that was a priority for Is that. it a mouse and keyboard game, or is it a, does the gamepad work with it? I don't even know. I assume the gamepad works with it, because I saw in the documentary people playing okay, on the couch. Okay. But I'm playing mouse and keyboard. Okay. Um, I, so I, did a, I went over to the Idle Thumbs office and recorded... Um, this week's episode with them to talk about CES and Oculus and stuff like that. Uh, and then afterwards, they introduced me to a game called Nidhogg, which I have seen at like the IDGA and a bunch of different places over the last year and a half, maybe two years even, um, but had never actually played. That game is amazing. Mid? Nid. Nid. N-I-D-H-O-G-G. Okay. Um, it, it, it's a fencing game. So it's side scroll, hmm. uh, it's 2D side-scroller uh, one player's on the left side, one player's on the right side. You face off with foils. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have the three the three poses. You can huck your foil at the other guy if you want. Um, and the goal isn't to kill the other person. The goal is to get to the far side of the map. So the maps uh, have multiple screens. And it ends up, the, the, the thing that ends up happening is, instead of being a game where you fight each other, the, oh, this is important. You can only run in one direction if you got the last kill. So if you if you kill the other person more frequently, then you have the initiative to run in the direction you're supposed to run. There's an arrow that pops up on the screen that says "Go right," um, and it's color coded to match your 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 dude's color. Um, when you're defending, that that puts the other person in the defending mode, and they can just keep respawning. So essentially, they become a series of NPCs, like the the equivalent of a series of NPCs. And they defend until they get a kill, and then they run in their direction. So it ends up being this real push pulley tug of war kind of back and forth game. It's it has some fighting game elements. I'm not a big fighting game guy, as anybody who's watched any giant bomb fighting game stuff knows. But but you get um, it ends up being a really uh, like the, in the fighting game elements are watching where the other guy's sword is and knowing what the counter is for that, which basically means you know, stabbing with the longer reach to kill him before he kills you or moving up to, to you know, block or counter or whatever. Sounds a little bit like Prince of Persia, but evolved. It's, it's, it's kind of Prince of Persia, but this is a straight, strict two-player game. It is a two-player versus game. Uh, they have AI, so there's a single-player mode. There's some online stuff that I haven't gotten to work yet. I don't know if it's because nobody's playing or because the, they're working on online code still. What platform is it? It's on PC right now for Steam. Uh, I assume it'll come out on everything in the future. Um, but it, it's, it is like the most fun I've had sitting on a couch playing games with people in a long time. Um, and I do a fair amount of sitting on the couch playing games with people. Um, Maybe before, maybe we'll drag the PC and hook it up to the TV in there and give it a spin this afternoon. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty awesome game. I also played a lot of Black Flag. Oh yeah, yeah. Do I haven't. I, I started it, but I have not. I don't have the time for a game like that. And if it doesn't grab me in the first hour, I'm not in it. So you have to play that game until you get the ship. 
Because that's when it grabs you. No ship. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you don't get the ship, it's just another Assassin's Creed game, and I'm kind of done with that. But the, once you get the ship, you are a pirate swinging through the, 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 the rigging, yeah. diving onto other people's ships, stabbing them in the eyeball, and taking their booty. It looks, pretty yeah, good. that part does look fun. I've seen some videos. It's pretty good. Um, did you have a Nidhug? You look like you might have a Nidhug question. No, I, I didn't. I asked all my questions. Hey, I was going to ask what's with the name. Um, so when you get to the far end, then the, then you get eaten by the Nidhogg, and the Nidhogg is a giant pink-looking worm that Glad. flies through the air. It's a real weird game. Like it's, it looks like um, – you know how Fez looks like the way you remember Nintendo – Super Nintendo games looking? Yeah, sure. Like it has that – it has like the, the, the limited, not limited palette mm-hmm. and the resolution and all that stuff that they totally cheat on. Mm-hmm. Um, this looks like you remember Atari 2600 games looking. Oh, no. So it's all <laughs> – it's all like blocky <laughs> pixel, big big giant pixels, and the arms move. It's it looks it. it I'm I'm, I'm okay. describing it terribly. Okay. The backgrounds are all look like photorealistic stuff pulled out of like te- weird textures. It, it's it has a real unique visual style. The music is great. It's by a guy named Daedalus or team people band named Daedalus. Chip chiptune kind of thing. chiptune kind of thing. Um, it, it's it is. I looked at it. I was like, this is right up Jeremy Williams's alley. He Sounds would, great. Be into this. It seems like the kind of thing you could pick up and play with pretty much anybody. I can't wait to find out why I want to be eaten by the Nidhogg. Well, because that means you win. <laughs> oh. It's simple, Jeremy. Sorry. Good God, man. Uh, I'm, I'm old. Um, so I don't know if Norm's going to get back. Maybe we'll talk about her next week. But uh, I guess that'll do it for us this week. For Norman Chan, I'm Will Smith. Jeremy Williams, thank you for coming out. Thanks. Anything you'd like to plug? Hey, when's your Kickstarter? Are, are you ready to... <laughs> no, not ready to well, talk. Uh, I, I'm getting ready to... And by the next time I'm on here, it might be live. I want to buy a pixel wall. I want to buy the, the grid. It's called the game frame. Sorry, the game frame. And uh, hopefully, you'll be able to do that soon. Yeah, okay. you know, if it, if the Kickstarter is successful, absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. Um, and we'll be back next Thursday with another episode of This Is Only Test. We're recording Still Untitled tomorrow, so we will have Still Untitled back next week for reals this time, and uh, that'll do it for us. We'll see you guys uh, later. <laughs>